here we are. This is part two. Maybe there'll be even more parts. I don't know. It, it, we, we talked a really long time. So Maybe. We'll see uh, what happens. But uh, here we are with uh, part two of the uh, fun night that we had uh, with Mike Vallis. So uh, let's get to that. Awesome. To, uh, to move on to my next topic, and that's Ghostbusters. Mm-hmm. I've not seen the movie yet. Neither have I. Me neither. Um, I know it opens up this weekend as per this recording, yes. so yeah. and right I want to see it. The expectations are – see, that's what I wanted to get into. The expectations are that it's going to – supposed to make between 40 and $50 million, mm-hmm. which is apparently a expectation based on all of the controversy surrounding the movie's release. I've had a chance to watch a number of reviews, and I've tried to watch reviews from a broad range of sources. Mm-hmm. I don't just want to watch the reviews, the angry fanboy reviews. What's, yes. make, what's making you reach out to watch reviews of the new Ghostbusters movie? Because I want to know, I want to know what people think of this movie. It's a cultural touchstone right now. Mm-hmm. What I want to my my take that I want to do before I read the uh, reviews is I want to see it first, completely. Unfettered, that's, untainted. Yeah. Then I want to read the reviews right, right. Yeah. That's, and that's see how it reflects. Typically, how I'll see any movie because I live in a world where I have a kid and I can't go to movie theaters anymore. So I built a giant screen in my basement and I see every movie six months after it comes out or three mm-hmm. months or however yeah, long. Very it depends on how often you have to go to Japan. What depends on how often you have to go to Japan. Right. If I have to drive there to to right. get the, the they, movies, they usually but. get the movies later anyway. But China's right. getting them sooner. We could always just drive across the bay to That's China. That's true. We could. We'll drive okay. there next time. But uh, um, yeah. So um, typically, I would agree with you. But I have no intentions of seeing this movie. So I'm more curious to see what. Oh, you have no no could. intentions of seeing it. I have no intentions of seeing it. It mm, just okay. doesn't look engaging to me. I'm, I'm not. It. I didn't think the trailers were funny, and I don't have enough of a nostalgia. I don't have enough nostalgia for Ghostbusters to make mm. me go see it on the basis of that. And what I saw of the trailers didn't grip me. And one could say, like, well, they could be bad trailers. And I'm like, yeah, but a trailer is a sales pitch. That is the point of it. You know, if, if, it's, not, if it's making a bad sale. It was a bad trailer. But it's not like the movie doesn't have pedigree. You know, uh, that's what confused me so much about the trailer. I'm like, this movie has got everything it needs. Why was this trailer so bad? Yeah, mm. I, I just like unless it's one of those very, very rare moments where they left the good stuff in, in the movie, but I really highly doubt yeah, that. Yeah, well, m- most of the most of the even fair and ha- even handed reviews that I'm hearing is saying most of the funny bits are in the trailers. Like wow. most of the jokes are in the trailers, mm. and that's that's from a broad range of sources. Now, I don't want to pepper anyone's view because that could those could be. Inaccurate. There could be funny. Mm-hmm. There, this could be people saying, "Oh, none of the other jokes are funny," mm-hmm. or it could be people saying there are no other jokes in the movie. Um, I'll take I, a couple shots before I go see the movie. I'll forget everything. <laughs> but, uh, but I, I, yeah, that I, won't pepper my view of the no, movie. No, 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 no. I just don't really have much of an interest in seeing the movie. But I have been watching the tra- I've been watching reviews of it because I am curious to see what people think about it. It's a cultural touchstone right now. It's a hot topic. People are interested in it. And that's kind of my reason for trolling the reviews. Now, if it was a movie I actually wanted to see, I would follow. I might still read reviews or watch reviews, but the reviews would have to, A, be spoiler-free, and B, would have to, like, for for that to dissuade me from seeing a movie, the review would have to be, it would have to be done by a reviewer whose opinion has never steered me wrong 
And they would have to say, this is a terrible movie. You won't like it. Mm-hmm. It would have to be those two So things. Red Letter Media. Red Letter Media <laughs> would be a very good source. But Red Letter Media has disliked movies that I've enjoyed. They didn't like the first Captain America movie. I thought the first Captain America movie was great. Yeah. So mm-hmm. even they're not I don't. I, I agree with them. I would say probably 85. I could understand why it would be uh, why there would be some criticisms, a.k.a. stormtroopers that can't hit the broadside of a barn. Right. But, you know, things like that. But... Yeah, I agree with them like 85 to 90% yeah. of the time. But there were a few, like you said, where I don't. But most mm-hmm. of the time I agree with uh, with their reviews. But I think Ghostbusters in particular is going to be the kind of thing for me that I'm just going to have to see for myself. I don't, that's, I don't... That, that's the thing. is, It's like I'd be very reticent to see – I'd be very reticent to pay to see the movie. Like if, if it was on Netflix, I'd probably watch that's it. That's the thing. Yeah, I'm going to wait for that it. That kind to, of thing. I'm going you know. to wait till it's convenient for me to watch it. Yeah. I, I will end up seeing it. I just don't have this great desire to go and see the movie in the theater. I'll admit I don't have it. That's why I'm like not huge into the front there, too, because I'm also one of those people in the beginning, too. It's like, well, did we really need a remake of that? Yeah. yeah. Well, yeah. That, that, that's one of the, that's one of the many things. But so, I'm which huge... is why I bothered or didn't bother seeing RoboCop. Well, I didn't see RoboCop just in the principle that I did not like what they were doing with it. Yeah, well, the, you, can't, the new you one? can't. Yeah, you can't remake make RoboCop. The, yeah. the, you can. the, I will tell you right now that, in my opinion, the RoboCop remake is the worst idea I've ever seen for a movie in like 20 years. <laughs> like, the, I would watch... Worse the, than Street Fighter, The Legend of Chun-Li? Yes. Oh, wow. Worse than, because Street Fighter, The Legend of Chun-Li, is, is, it's a bad movie, but it's attempting to add something to the lore and mythology of Street Fighter. It's mm. attempting to add something to the lexicon. It didn't do a good job of it. It did a fucking horrible job of it. And it's a, it's a shitty movie. I would say RoboCop is probably a better movie than, than Legend of chun But the idea of remaking RoboCop and making it as a PG movie is a terrible idea. Uh, yeah, I mean, we've talked about oh, the I past. it was PG. Yeah. yeah, we've talked in the past how we consider that movie a piece of art. Yeah. Like, it's just, like, really just damn... I'd buy perfect. that for a dollar. Exactly, exactly. It's, movie- it's, it's level of satire of itself... Just elevates it to yeah. a level. I had this conversation with Melissa in the car when we were driving around today. I said, "You know what is an amazing piece of music?" And she goes, "What?" And I said, "Yakety Sax." <laughs> and she goes, "It is." She goes, "I agree with you, but why do you say that?" And I said, "The reason why is because of its simplicity." The guy that composed that was like, "I'm going to make a song that is going to express absurdity," mm-hmm. and the guy created the perfect musical expression of absurdity. Mm-hmm. It was effortless. <laughs> the guy wasn't probably trying to make art. He was probably just trying to make a song, not an absurd song, but a song that conveyed the idea of absurdity. Mm-hmm. Now, that song can be used to display anything silly, mm-hmm. anything absurd, and it fits perfectly. It'll definitely help that Benny Hill kind of added right. to that, too. Right. Most like, kind of like how the theme song to Monty Python will now forever yeah, right. it's exactly. be tarnished. But, but not nearly the same, because even just Yakety Sax by itself still is a very, thematically, very, very goofy song. Right, mm-hmm. but, and the thing is, if you ever take the time to listen to that song, just pay attention to the notes. That is a very complicated song, mm-hmm. <laughs> but that complication is necessary to convey absurdity. And the original Robocop movie is a perfect expression of what it's trying to say. Mm-hmm. It's a very difficult movie to remake for that reason. I don't feel Ghostbusters falls in that territory. I don't feel Ghostbusters. Yeah, it's not a definitive of the 1980s or that absurd. No. However, it did come from 1984, which is widely considered the greatest year in the history of cinema. Mm. <laughs> and I'd have a hard time disagreeing with that. If you look at what got released in 1984, it's a fucking astonishing year. Like what? Uh, well, um, Star Trek II. 
came out that year. I want to say Ghostbusters came out that year. Conan the Barbarian came Damn. out that year. Um, I don't even think about that, just yeah. specifically that year. Yeah, um, it's, it's, con- it's widely considered the greatest year in the – in terms of like – in terms of creating movies. Not Maybe not necessarily financially. That I don't know. But like in terms of like what came out that year, and a fucking incredible year for film. Well, <laughs> Ghostbusters for me, um, I'm a huge, huge Ghostbusters nerd, Ghostbusters okay. fan. Mm-hmm. Um I don't really have a problem with the new movie. I know there's all this, you know, blow up about it. I don't really care. It doesn't bother me. I know that it's going to be hard to please me as a as a big a fan of Ghostbusters. Yeah, we're, we're jaded. We have that certain view I think of the what first, Ghostbusters is. I think that movie and the sequel, a lot of people rail on Ghostbusters 2. wasn't as good as the first one, but I think it's a fine movie. Uh, they're, they're you both, love it because it has an NES advantage. They're controlling the Statue of Liberty with an NES advantage. That's true. <laughs> that is that is one reason I like it. But uh, well, I mean, you know, Vigo the Carpathian, and uh, you know, this, the, both of the movies are just comic masterpieces. I want I want that painting in my house. Yeah, so <laughs> do I, I know we've talked about that. I want Vigo the Carpathian above the wall. And people. People who get it would love it. People who don't get it, I think it was, like, I, I made somebody happy uh, at work because they we have, we use something called Spark to like communicate. It's like our inner office thing. It's kind of like our version of instant pestering. Okay. In the office, so instant we have. Pester. <laughs> okay. Do you guys want? I have the list. I have the list of 1984 movies. We're gonna go down this list real quick. Okay. All right. So I'm gonna go from January through December. So there's gonna be a lot of movies you probably never heard of, but we're gonna hit a part where you're gonna start hearing movies. Movie called Angel, not the Buffy thing, because it's 1984. Hot Dog, the movie. Then Broadway, Danny Rose, El Norte, The Lonely Guy, Love Letters. Um, this is January. So this is like the crap part of the year for movies. <laughs> February, we've got Fuck Reckless. Fuck you. It's January. <laughs> we've got Reckless, Unfaithfully Yours, Blame It on Rio, Michael Caine movie. Crackers, Footloose. There's the first oh, one. Okay. That's a big the name. Great yeah. movies. Lassiter. Then February 24th, nothing came out. March, Against All Odds, which is Jeff Bridges and Deborah Winger. Repo Man. This oh, is Spinal wow. Tap. Yeah. Oh, oh wow. Um, March 9th, Children of the Corn. Wow. <laughs> the Hotel New Hampshire, Pete's Dragon and re-release, Splash. Huh. Splash was a big one. Police Academy. Oh, my. Jeez. Racing with the Moon. March 30th with Greystoke, The Legend of Tarzan, which is probably still the best Tarzan yeah. movie I've ever seen. The best Christopher Lambert movie. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Romancing the Stone. That's a huge one. April through June, Moscow on the Hudson, a big movie. Yeah. Up the Creek. Oh, Friday God, th- I love that one. Friday the 13th, the final chapter. Kid Co., Far Lop, Swing Shift. Then in May, we've got The Bounty, Breakin', The Buddy System, 16 Candles. There's at least one. Jeez. May 11th, Firestarter. Then The oh. Natural, Robert Redford, yeah, the sure. baseball movie. Sure. May 23rd, Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom. Oh, my God. Damn. June We've got Once Upon a Time in America, Star Trek Three: The Search for Spock, not mm-hmm. Star Trek Two. Okay. Streets of Fire. Uh, June 6th is Beat Street. Must have been the year of breakdancing movies mm. as well. <laughs> sure. June 8th is Ghostbusters, Gremlins, and Top Secret all came out oh on the God. same day. Oh, my God. On the same day? On the same what? day. June 15th was Under the Volcano. June 22nd is The Karate Kid and Rhinestone. Um, June 29th is Bachelor Party. Cannonball Run 2 and Conan the Destroyer. So not the first one, but the second one. Right. July through September. July is the last Starfire is a fucking great movie. Oh, yeah. I love that one. Yeah, that's a good one. The Muppets That's awesome. Ta- the Muppets Take Manhattan. Okay. July 20th is Best Defense and Revenge of the Nerds. July 27th is Purple Rain and the Jungle Book. And We've re-release. just gotten through half of the, well, half the year. <laughs> August oh 1984 is The Bostonians. 
August 2nd is the Bostonians. August 3rd is Grandview, USA, the Philadelphia Experiment. August 10th is Red Dawn. August 15th, The Adventures of Buckaroo Banzai. August 17th is Dreamscape, Sheena, and Tightrope. August 24th is Oxford Blues. August 31st is Bolero and Chud. Chud! Chud! Oh, my God. September 7th is The Brother from Another Planet. Number September 14th is a soldier story. The 19th is Amadeus. Mm. September 21st is All of Me, Places in the Heart. Then September 28th is The Wildlife, Irreconcilable Differences in Country. October through December, we've got Teachers, 1984, released in the UK. The Razor's Edge, another Jeff Bridges movie. American Dreamer, Body Double, The Terminator. Uh, the Killing Fields is fucking widely considered a classic. A Nightmare on Elm Street. Oh, my God. No Small Affair, Silent Night, Deadly Night, Just the Way You Are, Supergirl, The Ewok Adventure. Oh, now that's sold. Goodness. <laughs> now we're sold. Beverly wasn't, Hill- that, wasn't that Ewok Adventure on TV? Yeah, it was on TV, but I think it was it was also released in theaters. Yeah, I never heard of that. That was a oh theater, theatrical release for that. Wow. Beverly Hills Cop, 2010, yeah. City Heat, A Passage to India, 1984 is released in America, The Cotton Club, Dune, Starman. <laughs> Oh my God. Uh, the return of Godzilla in Japan. I was going to say Godzilla came, Godzilla 1984 came out then. Mm. Yeah, it did. Um, came out here as 1985. Yeah, Birdie, The Flamingo Kid, Johnny Dangerously. Nice. Mickey and Maude, Pinocchio was released, and it closed out with Mrs. Soulful. So. Okay. I guess you were right. Uh, it wasn't Damn. me. It's just what people have said, that it's the. So Friday the 13th, the final chapter, came out the same year that Nightmare on Elm Street 1 did? Yeah. Wow. That, that doesn't feel right. No, they did. <laughs> that doesn't seem right. Wow. That's something. So, anyway. Yeah, 1984 largely considered to be the greatest year in the history of cinema. Again, I don't know that I agree with it. I haven't looked at all the other years. I see of why, cinema, though. But, but I, as far as Ghostbusters is concerned, I mean, I watched the, the, the cartoon, the real Ghostbusters. What a not, great cartoon, man. Not, you watched one with the ape. Not the filmation one. <laughs> Let's go. All right, I'll stop. Thank you. <laughs> God. Did I tell you about that? Um, that uh, for a while there, because uh, you know I don't subscribe to any satellite or or cable or anything like that. I have a rooftop antenna, and there's this channel on the antenna called uh, Cubo, and for a while Cubo had the license to all of the filmation stuff. And for some reason, me and my wife began this ritual where every night when we went to bed, Cubo would start at ten o'clock, showing all the filmation stuff, and we would stay up from like ten till like two, watching. Just all this crap. And, like, getting this weird new appreciation for, like, its badness, mm-hmm. but also its goodness in the fact that, like, nobody else was doing that at the time. That was the time where, like, you couldn't have, like, action cartoons. You know, everything was, like, all watered down. Like, they had – action cartoons weren't around then. It was just, like, kind of thing. Oh, mm-hmm. no, they're too violent. They're too – let's get rid of all that stuff and do, like – uh you know everything that um, all the bullshit that uh, Hanna Barbera was coming out with. I have like a, what Squidly Diddly, Witty Witch. Yeah, there you go. What year was <laughs> what year was all this? Happening? This would have been the eighties, like early eighties. Like Hanna Barbera. The eighties was a big era. I have a love. Cardinals. I have a love hate relationship with Hanna Barbera because they simultaneously revolutionized animation with Tom and Jerry, and also fucking destroyed it with all their cookie cutter garbage that came. Everything- well, they tried to do uh, the the big hit for them, which it took me a long time to realize that. 
uh, Flintstones was actually a primetime show. Yeah, yeah. That was the first, that was their big revolutionary. Well, that's the thing. They they tried to they but it was Flintstones. Like, they tried to cheapen and everything else after that. Flintstones came and then Scooby Doo and like everything after that was all that cheap cookie cutter yeah. garbage. Yeah, so there was Squiddly but there was nothing. There was nothing. Gorilla, there Jetsons, yes. all those. Yes. So. Uh, Woody uh, Witch, the Gary the Coleman Fl- show. Ah! <laughs> The Flintstones was kind of like the precursor to The Simpsons. I like Snidely. Yes. I was going to say, no, what's his name? Um, Snidely Whiplash? No, not Snidely Whiplash, but I was thinking the villain of there for the Gary Coleman show. Oh, I, I don't actually, remember. I actually remember his name. I used to love his name. Oh, God, I forget it. Now it's going to like eat my life. The point is, there wasn't action. And I, I'm, I'm, I, I promise you, I'm not getting away from Ghostbusters. There's, you know, there's a point to all that. But the, but the point is, you couldn't do action cartoons anymore because they were deemed like too violent. So. We're going to do all this. Was it too violent or too animated? Because I never heard either of them. Hanna Barbera was doing all this stuff. I always just assumed Hanna Barbera was because like, it was we're, cheap. We're, filmation's like we're going to do action cartoons and mm-hmm. we're going to do all the all these all these different things, but we're going to do it in a way that's like acceptable to the censors. So you know, we got He Man and She Ra and all the you know. Uh, it was uh, the block that they showed on this Cubo was uh, He Man, She Ra, Brave Star. You remember mm-hmm. this one? Mm-hmm. No of it. Yeah. Okay. Uh, and then uh, it was um, there was a fourth one. What was the fourth one? It was Hero Brave Star, and uh, oh, the Ghostbusters. Then was after that. So that that was the fourth one. So it was just this block, an hour of He Man, an hour of Shira, an hour of Brave Star, and then if you could stay up late enough, it would be the Ghostbusters. That's about the time I'd cash out because I was He-Man's tired. Action sequences. It's him running in that three quarters perspective, right. doing the jump roll Talk and then He-Man? landing with the crotch shot under well, the because camera. Because they did the rotoscoped animation. <laughs> mm-hmm. So there was like, it was really expensive. So that's all they could afford. We'll, well do like I, these three I, or actually, four rotoscopes. They had borrowed for He-Man. They had borrowed a number of their sequences from their previous Tarzan cartoon. Sure. I watched Tarzan. Yeah. I watched Tarzan. There was Tarzan and uh, Fat Albert before yep. all that. Yeah. yeah. I watched Tarzan before He-Man, and I remembered when I saw stuff like He-Man diving off of a cliff into the water. I was like, I'd seen that same animation yep. in, in Tarzan many, many times. Yep. All reused. The punch at the camera, mm-hmm. the roll. Mm-hmm. They were all in there. Uh, well, we're forgetting an important one, which is uh, Star Trek The Animated Series. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Lou Scheimer. Which has my... wasn't actually filmation but it was just Lou Scheimer by I himself. was very pleased because I was listening to your podcast and I've only ever seen one episode of Star Trek the uh the animated series and you talked about that one it's the one with uh, Spock's pet yeah. uh, and having uh, to make that decision Return yeah. to the City on the Edge of Forever which is my single favorite Star Trek thing ever mm-hmm. story just, just period just period story doesn't yeah. matter I loved it because and here's the reason why I loved it so much is because it was a story that dealt with consequence and it dealt with heartbreak, and it dealt with inevitability. Spock watching his younger self lament the death of his pet, he could have stepped in. He could have stopped it. Right. But instead, he said, no, this is a necessary part of my growth as a person. I have to see this through. I can't stop this from happening. Yeah. Even as a child, I watched it. I was like, you know what? That is so cool that mm. he is like he knows that if he doesn't experience this pain and this separation, he's not going to be the person that he became. Right. Mm. You know, he was weak. Young Spock was weak in that show, like relative to his culture. Yeah. 
And that was something that made him stronger. It made him a survivor. And he understood it was what he needed at the time. He could have gone in and spared himself the pain. But without the pain, he wouldn't have gained the strength he needed to survive the natural ostracizing that he experienced from his own culture. Mm -hmm. And I love that melancholy, somber message. That, to me, epitomizes Star Trek. The tough lesson. The human tale. Even though he's not a human, he's only half human. But that human tale, you know, that... That is humanity. Humanity's story is a bittersweet story. It's a melancholy story. Mm. It's growth through sacrifice. And mm-hmm. that's why I loved it so much. You know, nothing that we have as a species, as a culture, as a planet, nothing that we have that was given to us is worth a damn. The only things that matter are the things that we fought for and the things that we suffered to preserve. Those are the things that matter. But it's that storytelling and that voice acting, too, by all just about all the original voice actors yeah. that made that show rise above its shitty animation. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, it, it just it, it made again, it, you're speaking to a classic series Doctor Who fan. Yeah. It was not about the effects or anything, no, it right. was about the story. Right. The right. spirit and the story is what matters. Right. Exactly, exactly right. Yeah. And um, some of those cases, like if everything was so crappy, they would have to focus on being uh, telling a good story. Right. So, filmation. Yeah, you're saying you're gaining a new appreciation. Yeah, just by watching it on on Cubo, but for for its badness, but also its goodness of like you know they nobody else was doing it that at yeah. the time. So I was in thinking being being older watching it and thinking about that sort of thing made me kind of gain a new appreciation for what they were doing at mm-hmm. the time. Now the animation's still shitty. The voice acting is... But they were trying, I understand, but they, you know what they were trying to do? They were trying to forge a unique identity right. in animation. They weren't yeah. like, you know, we're not going along with what everybody else is doing. Right. Which is going to bring me to the new Berserk anime, but I'll talk about that later. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Being something unique and separate from everything else. But I want to stay on this topic right now. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So... Uh, well, we got on this topic because of Ghostbusters. Ghostbusters. Yeah. We were talking about I watched the Ghostbusters. I know both movies by heart. I could recite every line, and you know the animated too. And I, you know, I'm not really bothered by the new Ghostbusters. I'm kind of strangely indifferent to it. Like mm-hmm. I'm just like, okay, so they made a new one with girls. There's a big controversy. I just don't really care about all of it. I'm gonna watch it just as a movie. A movie. Yeah. That's how I, I feel I'm just, about I, it. I'm just gonna experience it when it comes out on video, and you know, I'll. Make my I'm own judgment. I'm probably going to see it in the and the big uh, screen, mostly because it looks like they're doing the effects for the big screen. Okay, with the way like the giant ghost going over the cityscape stuff. Or like you that. can wait. That's why. Or I can watch it here. Yeah, yeah. I don't have anything like yeah, this. Normally, that's what so. you got to do. You got to watch stuff. Yeah, that's why. <laughs> that's how I do it. We watch it here. It's the same experience. And if you got to take a piss, you can pause it. Yeah. <laughs> that's, movie, movie I never have that problem that. though. That's oh, I, I have the bladder the, of an eighty-year-old woman. So. <laughs> that's kind of one of the reasons why I don't want to see the movie now is I don't want to get caught up in the social zeitgeist right. of it all. Yeah, mm-hmm. you can just forget about it, and it'll come out on video with much less hullabaloo. Yeah, and a year, like three months down the road, or whatever. Yeah, everybody, when everyone's forgotten about it, there'll be a new controversy of something. Yeah, yeah uh, when I'll, everybody's forgotten about it because yeah. it's a mediocre movie, you I then can, you can watch it. On I video. can like watch it and say whether or not I liked it or didn't like it, but. Anyway, what are your you said you said that you want to see it. So tell me a little bit about your feelings of the new Ghostbusters movie and why um why you want to see it or don't why you want to see it. So like tell me about it. Talk to me about well, it. Well, I mean, I don't want to see it as a fan as Ghostbusters. It's just I want to see it just because 
I haven't seen a special effect movie of something like that, and it seems just like a fun, cheap entertainment. I definitely will not pay full price. I would probably see it like uh, a matinee. yeah, matinee or something okay. like that. Most movies I see matinee, anyways. But so, it just it looked visually good to me. It looked yeah. visually interesting to me. So and the characters, you know, not necessarily the jokes, but the characters seem interesting to me. I also have a thing for tomboys, so. Mm-hmm. So, uh, but you have you you have reservations because you're not willing to pay full full price. Why do you have reservations about seeing the movie at full price? Mostly because I'm cheap. Okay, <laughs> I'm honestly that's not that's a good it. reason. But I would actually say if there's a movie I would see at full price, it's very rare that I would see it. I would have to be it would have to be like a really major thing, like a Star Wars something like that. Okay, but I, if I was to be put in a position where somebody would ask me, would I want to see that movie at full price? Do you want to come out that evening? I would have to gauge, I would actually gauge my fun time with those friends versus actually seeing it. I probably would actually say I wouldn't pay for it full price. Mm -hmm. And my reservation on that would be mostly because of the fact that I saw the original. And I don't think it's going to be that great of a movie. So what you're saying is that you don't really want to pay full price for this because... You do have some nostalgic love for the original. Oh, always will. Yeah, yeah. that's going to have to tarnish my opinion in some way, shape, or form. And what it's I not saying that this is bad. It's just right. I have that there, and I don't. I don't like the idea that I know subconsciously I'm going to be comparing. Right. Yeah. You're, never, I don't you're want never going to. to top the just the um, almost. It almost seems ad libbed. A lot of the humor in the right. movie mm-hmm. it just comes so natural. to Because all those obviously, guys. Sli- like for example, they're going to have Slimer in here. Whatever scene they're going to do with Slimer, subconsciously, I'm going to compare it to the first scene with he's staring at me, Ray. Yeah. You know that whole thing. Um, what I find interesting about this is that you bringing this up, saying that because of your nostalgia and love for the original Ghostbusters, it's going to make it difficult for you to see this as a separate thing and not be say difficult, but it will tarnish. Right, okay, yeah. so it will tarnish. Well, the, um, the angry video game nerd, mm-hmm. he got flayed on social media for basically saying the same thing. Mm-hmm. He said, I'm not going to... I have no idea. I, I, don't, I, I don't think I've seen his stuff, but... Well, <laughs> yeah, well, James Rolfe, the angry video game nerd, he posted a video saying... People are wondering if I'm going to see the new Ghostbusters, and I'm not going to see the new Ghostbusters. And the reason why is because I've seen the trailers, and this doesn't look anything at all like the movie. Like, it's it's not doing anything for me nostalgically. Ghostbusters is a very important part of my youth. It's a very important film to me. It means a lot to me. And there's no way that I could ever be impartial in reviewing this movie. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to avoid it. He was immediately labeled a sexist, a misogynist. And that seems to be... <laughs> on the, YouTube? Never. Uh, he, that seems to be... No, there are very not serious common people on Pat, the comments. Pat Noswalt called him out for it. <laughs> Pat that, what, what's, a Pat, what's a Pat Noswalt? Pat Noswalt was the voice of Ratatouille. He's a very famous comedian. Really? He's a very famous... I've got to feel bad now because I'm like a huge fan of Ratatouille. Yeah, he's, he's a very famous comedian. He's a big friend of the nerd community. He loves nerd shit. So, but he, that's the thing. I haven't seen it. He didn't say anything derogatory or anything like saying, like, I don't understand why they cast women or something no, like that. No. Okay. No, not a single one of his criticisms had anything to do with women. Um, it was all about the fact that he felt like it wasn't going to pay respect or tribute to the original and that he cares about the original too much to be impartial. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. See, that's how I would say the same thing about Robocop. Yeah, when I, mean, I would do that, that's something that I would yeah. say. So, but, but the difference here, because this movie is already socially charged mm-hmm. in media perception, but he got lambasted. Me- news sites were reporting like Angry Nerd won't see a movie because it has women, and he never said that at all. 
So I, I well, I, well, welcome to wonderful freaking spin. Yeah, yeah right. I, I was thinking about that. My, my very first introduction to how terrible spin can be was actually, ironically, a very gaming thing. It was back during the uh, HD DVD Blu-ray Wars. Oh, boy. <laughs> exactly. So, well, and I think it was uh, Hideo Kojima came out. I think it was MGS3. Yeah, it was MGS3. He was making in there, and he put out a statement saying, it's like, oh, my God, you know, he's a big promo thing saying it, it was, we've got so much content here, so much cinemas, we actually had to, like, compress some of the videos in there to do that just so we can get all the video stuff in there. The headline, I forget which website put it up there. The headline read, and I quote, Kojima, colon, M- oh, Blu-ray compromises MGS4 quality. <laughs> of course. Deliberately spun it to try to make it a, some kind of a controversy. Right. And I'm like, oh. And, and the reason- that's one of the things I hate about news media. They try, they loved controversy. And if controversy doesn't exist, they'll create it out well, of something. Well, that's how you get readers. That's how you get readers. Exactly. That's how you get clicks. Well, it's the old, it's the old, uh, it's the old adage from the print industry. If it bleeds, it reads. Yep. <laughs> no, it's the truth. If the thing is, if you get readers hyped about something or excited about something or angry about something, then you know you're onto something, and then you can just keep creating articles about mm-hmm. that subject, and they're going to keep coming back and keep opining. It's a cycle. Unless you're of- CNN and you love airplanes, it's a it's a cycle. That's the one that makes me go the hell. <laughs> it's a cycle of positive reinforcement. You create something, your readers come to it. Then you create something else, and your readers come to it. Just keep it's just a cycle that keeps going and going and going. And you 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 keep doing that until you burn that story out. Mm-hmm. Then by that point, you've hooked them onto something else. Yeah, you, 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 by that time, you have to keep keep, keep doing yeah. it until. So yeah. there was actually I won't name names with this, but there was actually somebody who they wanted. It was a I think it was an EG a case. Of, I'm trying to remember if it was an online EGM online or if it was just EGM in general. Where one editor asked somebody else, I won't say names here, but they wanted to just create a story for Grand Theft Auto just to get Grand Theft Auto in there because it was a hot topic. And he's like, yeah, I need an idea for like how we're going to put this story in there. I'm like, well, why don't you just talk about something new that's coming out? Right. I was like, no, he wanted to focus on a Grand Theft Auto piece because mm-hmm. they had to do it because that was the end thing that would sell. So, mm-hmm. so, so anyway. that's, so anyway, so, the, so he gets lambasted for that is what you're saying. Yeah. So yeah, he gets lambasted for that. And I find it interesting that, your view is is very similar to his in that mm-hmm. you have affection for the original and you're, you're yeah, always... And, and, and matter of fact, I might actually say, I would like to go, I would actually say this movie, I would go see it just because it's uh, a movie starring four women. That's actually have been really done. Yeah. I mean, unless you're counting something like, you know, uh, like... Um, well, Bridesmaids. Yeah, but Bridesmaids which is something also like that. But that's a whole director. different thing. Well, mm-hmm. I would I would argue that women don't have prominent that I would argue against the notion that women don't have prominent roles in, in genre films or films in general. They do. They have mm-hmm. lots of prominent roles in films. Oh, they genre. definitely have prominent, but they're always uh it's it's always ninety nine percent the second. You know, it's it's they are second to the main star usually. So uh, I, I not would, saying I'm not trying to say it's like, oh second to the man, but usually that is the case. But more and more now, in some cases They'll be coming out more powerful. I mean, like, look for example. Uh, there were other cases in history, like Silence of the Lambs. Hmm. Well, so, yeah, the, my, I, beautiful. I, I I would think that if you truly did an examination of movies that have come out in Hollywood, you would find plenty of movies where there's a female. More recently, oh, there's definitely especially, more recently, especially because well, it's a thing now. Uh, well, I mean, yeah, but I mean, we can even go back as far as 1979 to Alien. Yeah, like Sigourney Weaver is the prototype mm-hmm. female. Ass kicker. Although she wasn't really an ass kicker in that movie, but she also didn't take shit mm-hmm. in that movie. 
And then, of course, in Aliens. Aliens which, is the more obvious one, yeah. Aliens, well, it's, that's that's because James Cameron knows how to fucking make movies, <laughs> you know. I remember your podcast about that one, yeah. too. <laughs> and Grant, people can hate on James Cameron all they want, but that dude knows how to craft a film. He knows how oh, to I get love asses him. in seats. I admit I'm one of the people who, there's so many people bag on Titanic. I love Titanic. I love Titanic yeah, as well. Mind you, though, I was also watching it with a person who was another EGMer, uh, Tim Davis. You okay. don't think you've ever met him. I don't think him. so, no. Uh, he was a mass, just a fan of the Titanic itself. Yeah, there okay. are people. That and so, like, Titanic I was sitting it with him, and he's like pointing this out and that out, and yeah, yeah. Well, plus then, David Warner. Well, da- and David who's, Warner who's the real star of that movie. Mm-hmm. But yeah, like Jack and Rose are like they're equal in that movie. Now, the one, in fact, the movie does a good job of that movie does a good job portraying the challenges that real women faced during that era, mm-hmm. and how she was able to overcome them. And it, I, I, you know, so. I would say that there have been plenty of examples of it. So I don't think that, like, Ghostbusters – I don't think that Ghostbusters is – No, it's real. not breaking a boundary. It's but not it's breaking just, any yeah. boundaries. I, I, in fact, I think that the story that it's for women is also media hype and spin. Because if the media was being honest with itself, they would be able to find 100 mm-hmm. examples where women are prominent. Oh, yeah. Film, I would so. say that's a movie just but, for women. Well, it's it's <laughs> it's like I said with – Or you the know, story like, is for women. Mm. It's like I said in the podcast where we talked about Star Wars and that article, The Vampire Strikes Back. And I'm like, Princess Leia did this in 1977. This is really nothing. Did everybody forget? Yeah. Did everybody forget? Like, Star- The Force Awakens is a sequel to Star Wars where Princess Leia is like the, is like the prototype sci-fi badass, mm-hmm. not objective. Just a badass. There's mm-hmm. nothing sexual about the character in Star Wars or even Empire. It's not until Jedi. Not unless you look at the poster. Right. I think well, uh, but, uh, I want to go back. Which is weird because that poster is strangely misleading. No, I actually had this debate. Ironically, going back to EGM, I actually, when Ziff Davis came over, a bunch of new art directors came in, and I had that argument with them. It's like, because we had a lot of misleading covers and stuff like that. Well, very misleading. Like, well, I mean, more misleading than this guy. And he pointed out Star Wars to me. He was saying, well, look at, you know, he's like, well, look at Princess Leia. You know, look how she was portrayed in the cover versus how she was actually in the movie. I'm like, yeah, but there's a difference between showing Princess Leia looking slinky and saying this is princess leia played by marilyn monroe there's right. a difference yeah <laughs> you know when sense. we were calling games when we when we sh- first showed um i think it was soul edge we put it on the covers tekken 3 mm. just because we because you know, uh the editor wanted felt it was a better a more recognizable name I'm like, mm-hmm. that's just wrong yeah, yeah. because but it was a th- but he was felt he could do that because it was a 3d fighter made by namco right oh, right uh, I want to go back for one second. You uh, you wanted to talk about David Warner? Oh, yes, I did. You wanted to catch that. Because, yeah, because I'll always stop on a conversation about David <laughs> Warner. So. Ironically, it's actually a little gift I have to give you. Oh, yeah. Um, I have mentioned before my love of Big Finish Productions. Oh, sure. Uh, they do um, a lot of classic stuff. They do Avengers stuff, but they are be- one of the biggest ones they do is classic series Doctor Who. They have a lot of the classic actors there. They do a lot of... Uh, they build. They they do modern day stories using the 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 style and design of the original classic series and stuff. I actually have a, a couple, and I told you I was going to lend you some episodes mm-hmm. here. So, um, here are two stories in here. Okay. Uh, they're not the pinnacle ones that I would choose, but this was from a season that they did with Tom Baker. That's the fourth Doctor with the sure. scarf and that. Right. If you're familiar right. with them. Yeah. Um, but the key reason I chose these two for you. Well, there's actually three stories there. One is Victorian one that kind of has like a little superhero motif to it. Okay. But it's a really fun one. Plus, it has two, two of my favorite characters, Jago and Lightfoot. But also in there, there are two stories 
that feature one of the main characters played by David Warner. Ah, okay. <laughs> so uh, Vallis has handed me a USB stick, and um, he's never going to get it back. <laughs> so thanks for that. Dumb bastard. I'll be, uh, yeah. Anything with David Warner. It goes in my collection, and that's the end of it. I have a closet. <laughs> well, you're going to have plenty, because he's, David Warner has actually done a lot for Big Finish. He's like, he praises them. He actually yeah. says, oh, I'm just great about the Big Finish family, you know, in that classic David Warner way of his. So yeah, that was pretty good, by the way. Oh, thank you. <laughs> So, what do you got? You get to hear David Warner go up against Daleks in this one. Okay, that'll be cool. How how cool is that? <laughs> you can't win. go wrong. With, He'll win. Yeah, that's true. He would. That that scene he did. Oh, I just loved that. I wouldn't want to spoil it. But well, oh. when he uh, when he's in uh, Batman doing uh, you know Rachel Ghoul. Mm-hmm. detective, you know, detective. Oh, yes, he's great. He's so good, man. Uh, remember when he was in. Uh, there was that episode of Batman Beyond. You watch Batman Beyond? You know what? Only bits and pieces of it. Oh, it's good. I've heard great. And a friend of mine actually introduced me to the... Um, they can't hear me shaking my head, but I I'm know. shaking it. <laughs> I, I, it's one of those, because I love the original anime series. I would love that. To, yeah. like, to death. It's just one of those I missed. But, I, uh, I'm one of those purists that I have to see it from the beginning. I'm going to spoil this one, but there was an episode, and you've seen this, Tom. It was the one with uh, Talia, his mm-hmm. daughter, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, she comes and finds Bruce Wayne, you know, but he's old. And uh, she's real young, so obviously she's been taking dips in the Lazarus pit now too you know but <laughs> yep. uh turns out you know um Raish is finally gone and like she's taken over his legacy and she wants Bruce to you know f- she's doing all these uh charity endeavors and all these things wants Bruce to be on board well secretly uh she really just wants uh his his body mm-hmm. and she she's going to dump him in the Lazarus pit take over his body because she's really Raish al Ghul who oh. has taken over her body because his body finally couldn't regenerate anymore. Mm-hmm. So he's like, you know, she made the ultimate sacrifice, gave up her body. So now he's in her body fooling Bruce. But there's this this great moment where they're like, they want to get out. Of, like Bruce is dipping in the Lazarus pit. He's getting younger. And he's like, no, this is unnatural. This is a cheat. I'm getting out of here. I don't want anything to do with this. He tries to leave. The goons won't let him leave. So him and the young Batman, Terry McGinnis. Remember, there's that great scene where it's like the new Batman, the old Batman, both beaten asses of all these dudes. It's a pretty fucking cool scene. But then he throws this one dude and he hits a door. And from inside the door, you hear, I gave orders not to be disturbed. And you're like, ah! <laughs> it's him! It's, it was so awesome. Yeah. It's you kind of like, have to watch the original animated series and watch all to, of them to, appreciate, to appreciate the context. Of right, it. right, right. It's kind of like Harvey Birdman if you ever watched that. Oh, of course, Law. Well, the, the, the finale episode. Oh yeah, where it's like you know, it's like he does the window wiper, and then suddenly here Stephen Colbert, ha ha, surprise cameo for final episode. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it was perfect. Go on, Hydro Cap Part Two. Oh, oh. So, this again. Well, we all know. That I'm not a comic book fan, and even I was shaking my head when I heard the news. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, the video that we recorded was a bit of a ramble. I had a very hard time putting, getting all my thoughts in a concise fashion. This is not going to be that, but I am going to say that I feel that it was the wrong character to do it with and very much so at the wrong time. Well, sure. We said that. Yeah. Um, I thought we also established that every character was uh, Agent of Hydra as that's well. That's right. Yeah. Pretty much everybody, everybody is, which means nothing's hey, changed. Hey, Willie. Yeah. Hail Hydra. <laughs> um, the, uh, 
The uh, <coughs> Valis don't almost, die there. Valis almost killed me. Sorry. Go on. The character. Random elf joke kills Ray. <laughs> the do character it. was created by two New York Jewish people as a protest against oppression. Sure. In a time when America was extremely anti-Semitic, so having Captain America punch Hitler on the cover of the first issue is analogous to having him punch Kim Jong Un. Mm-hmm. Right. Think about that movie where the two, where um, Seth Rogen and James Franco go to the interview. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Remember? I saw that one. Yeah. This movie would be the, the Captain America. Was that America a good number- movie? It had its points. I think it was a little overhyped, but it was actually pretty interesting. They really portray. It's actually clever how they actually portrayed King Jong Un in the beginning as being. Good, you know, it's like he's, he's sympathetic. very sympathetic. He's sympathetic at the beginning of the movie, and then, then he then slowly grows out when you realize like what's really go, like the whole smoke and mirrors thing going on. Yeah, okay, um, it has its funny moments. I think it's a little overrated. I was really surprised at how rather raunchy it could be sometimes. Right. I was not expecting that. Not doggy. I just wasn't expecting it. Right. But right. no, I actually I it showed me to light a lot of the stuff that was going on over there that I didn't know. Okay. Um, but that Captain America number one is analogous to the interview. Right. Where you're taking a shot at a dictator that could do something really fucked up, mm-hmm. and you're doing it for things that you believe in. I mean, I honestly don't know if the guys that did the interview made it just because it was they thought it'd be funny, or if they were making a political statement. I don't. I don't know. I don't even think about that. But I, for those reasons, I objected. Not to mention the timing with Civil War coming out when people want to get behind Cap. Yeah, they don't want to read that he's a traitor. Yeah, they don't yeah. want to read that he's a bad guy. Well, issue two came out. Okay. And it came out like, and you read it, and you can see how bad Marvel backpedaled on it. Oh, sure. <laughs> so the whole second issue, it came out later than I expected. And I've got. Well, probably few, because all the revisions they had to make they, at the last well, minute. I have a feeling they had to completely redo the second issue. Yeah, people are really pissed about this. We got to fix this. So, well, uh, Tom Braver, the editor in chief at Marvel, got death threats over it. Mm-hmm. So the second issue, I read it. And it's all told from the Red Skull's point of view. And what you come to find out that Captain America's memories as a Hydra agent have been implanted oh. by Kobik. I was waiting for something was like a that. Cosmic Cube given sentience. They revealed the entire storyline because they had to. Because people were pissed off and they needed to know that in truth, Steve Rogers is not a traitor mm-hmm. and never was a traitor. Marvel has taken a very progressive stance on a lot of its comics. They had to realize that making a character that was created by two Jewish people in New York as a protest to oppression, turning that character into an oppressor was politically and socially a fucking terrible idea. Mm -hmm. You cannot have a woman be Thor and a black and Mexican kid be a Spider-Man and also take Captain America and turn him into a Nazi in the same universe. If you're trying to do... I'm not in favor of progressive things for their own sake. You know that. But if you're going to be progressive, you can't make Captain America a Nazi. Because that's, that's, that's not progressive at all. That's mm-hmm. the wrong character to do that with. Mm-hmm. The wrong character at the wrong time. That completely insults the oppressed people that created him. Mm-hmm. I am very happy that they spilled the beans on this storyline. I'm very pleased about it. Now, if they wanted to continue with the storyline for like two years... I'm okay with it. Mm. Knowing what's going on changes the context of mm-hmm. it completely. Because you have to tell people there's – you have to – Have faith co- in Cap. You have to have faith in Cap. And of course they would have eventually reverted him back to normal. You mm-hmm. know, this is how comics work. 
But I think that this... No, Superman really died. Yeah. Didn't he? Yeah, yeah right. Yeah. But Batman th- stayed with a broken back all the time. Right. But I think that this... Never changes. Permit. Exactly. I think that this storyline is a storyline that requires you to give fans assurances mm-hmm. because it's way too hot of an issue. Um, it's funny uh, they did it in the second issue. Yeah, they had to. They mm-hmm. had to move fast on it. They were going to probably lose readers and they're probably going to be horrible. It's going to be a total social hot topic. Well, I think the number one issue being the guy that didn't want to get killed, probably, was a big motivator. You know? <laughs> what? Yeah. The, the death threats. Well, realizing that maybe they'd gone too far. I don't want to die, so uh, reel everything in issue two so I don't die. Mind <laughs> you, death threats happen a lot. Heck, that one uh, preset came out as gay. You got death threats. Uh, John Nathan Turner, the classic series Doctor Who uh, fan, when they canceled the series... Somebody offered them. He said, he, he said, I won't say who, but I was got an offer to have the, I forget the actual guy who canceled the show. He's like, have him assassinated. He said it was a completely legit offer. <laughs> uh, I remember Michael Bay getting death threats from people who wanted Peter Cullen to be Optimus Prime. <laughs> well, I still remember Peter. I'm surprised uh, Michael I, Bay doesn't get more death threats, to be honest. Well, I remember Michael Bay's original comment before uh, that, that he said, um, when the people wanted Optimus Prime in there, his exact quote was, I'll never forget, he said, of course we're not going to use the original voice actors. Why would we want to do that? Yeah. It's like, <laughs> He needs to be slapped. Yeah, I, uh, Michael Bay. I'm not even a Transformers fan, and I know that. Yeah, my friend Dan told me some great Michael Bay stories when he was working on a set of Transformers 3. He told me some great Michael Bay stories. <laughs> so anyway, I just wanted to touch on that subject and, that does bring into mind like people that bastardize the original purpose of things. Mm-hmm. Of course, trails into Ghostbusters. Is it a bastardization or not? We won't know. Well, I guess that's like that's one of the interesting things because that's like the whole uh, the level of is it a bastardization? Does it really destroy how much of there? Like, is it worth complaining venomously about Ghostbusters being four women and doing whatever it is versus changing Captain America into a Hydra agent. Yeah, um, I think that... Both are modifying the artistic vision of blah, 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 whatever. Right. But... I I think that the original... I think that the Ghostbusters... Honestly, I do think that the sexism complaints about Ghostbusters are very overstated. I think it's very mm-hmm. much it's very much a media thing. It creates news. It creates buzz. And it gives Sony a built-in excuse. Mm-hmm. Like, if this movie fails, it's because the, it's because the sexists complained about it. Mm-hmm. It gives Sony a built-in excuse for the movie's potential failure. Mm-hmm. Um, I personally am not a fan of Sony or the director or the actors in the movie pointing that out. Like, don't. Don't accuse people of submarining your movie. Just let it stand on its own merit. Right. Just say, you know what? Don't attack your audience. Don't attack the people that aren't going to see it. Don't get caught up in it. Let the internet say all the shitty things they want to say. Mm-hmm. The second that you start to accuse them of that, you're becoming dragged into the controversy. Be above it. Mm-hmm. You know, you're well, here's first. one of the things I always say. If your goal is to please the internet, I direct you to a movie called Snakes on a Plane. Dude, that is the gospel fucking truth because I've said that a million times. <laughs> Everybody wanted that movie yeah. and it came The out. internet created – this was supposed to be the perfect internet movie. The internet influenced so much on there. And then it did came out a fucking <laughs> bomb. Like it just it, it just vanished. Yep. You know? So don't you don't create a movie for the internet by the same token – you don't respect. You don't respond to the criticism that the internet has. Mm-hmm. Just let it go. Let it go. Be above it. 
You're mm-hmm. prof- you're supposed to be fucking professionals. It's amateurish to, uh, to it's amateurish to hit the internet back. First of all, you can't win the internet. Yeah, that's very true. You can't beat the internet. But for them to like use it as a built-in ex- a potential built-in excuse for any any failure that the movie might experience, mm-hmm. I think it's weak sauce. Just stand up for it. Just say, you know what? I think that the movie's going to be fine. Mm-hmm. I think it's going to do great. Have, it reminds I- me when uh, during um. Uh, we won't get into the subject because obviously that was a really crazy touchy one. But when uh, the whole Gamergate thing happened and Felicia Day, like she said something against the, you know, the internet. It's like, oh, you guys shouldn't be doing that. I'm like, don't taunt the internet. Yeah, just stop. <laughs> don't taunt the internet. because whether- and it's, 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 I don't care what your stance is. You don't taunt the internet. Right. Trolls will just go after you for any reason. Right. <laughs> if, you, if you taunt the internet, be prepared for a fight. Mm-hmm. Get ready to fight and get ready to answer your critics all the time. And get well, ready Blizzard to- did that one time with um. They were originally going to introduce this thing called um. Re- uh, re- uh, they did introduce reality, but it was originally going to have change it so that all of your forum posts would have your real name. Oh, jeez. Oh yeah, exactly. And stuff like that. And anyways, it it explodes. What they when they said, well, you know, we, people don't want to know what their real names are and stuff like that because you know the whole Jay and Silent Bob scene. You know, mm-hmm. everyone's saying when yeah. strikes back, mm-hmm. they were expecting that. Well, one of the Blizzard uh, employees said, "Well, here's my real name, Bob, Bob, Bob. What can you find out?" <laughs> they posted like his his uh, LinkedIn account. They, they posted they, they his email, him. his address. They put pictures of him with his uh, the school that his children attend to. Oh, his God. pictures of his they dox, kids. They dox the shit out of him. Oh, like, you boom! The thread went down. You, you cannot. You cannot take on. Do the not internet. taunt the internet. You will lose. <laughs> You can agree with the internet. You can disagree with them. Do not, do not taunt them. Do not, do not challenge them to anything because they will find out. They will, they will find out what websites you visited. They will find out what porn you're jerking off to. They yep. will find out everything, and it won't be hard. So you know that that's the thing. Like Felicia Day doing that is like, look, you need to be above it. You're a professional. Mm-hmm. You need to prove that you're better than it. Don't get caught up in it. Because the second you get caught up in it, you make yourself a target. Mm-hmm. You make your company. If you want to talk target. about, you should talk about. You should, don't taunt the internet. Yeah. Yep. Don't just, criticize the internet. Yeah, just say these are my feelings. This is what I think. Mm-hmm. Don't. The one thing you don't do is you don't tell people on the internet what to do because nobody likes being told what what to do or how to act. Nobody likes that. It's on the internet, we have that anonymity. Anonymity equals shitcock, as Pony yeah, Arcade loves to yeah, point out. Yeah, pretty much. So Hydrocap Two is a direct Hydrocap Two, where they where they spill Electric the Boogaloo. Early. Exactly, <laughs> is a direct response to what happens when you know social media is in a fury. When, when here we go again with uh, bring, bringing it back around to Gay Sulu. The real world leaks mm-hmm. into the fake world again. Right. You just. You know, if this is Marvel's response, I think it's the right response. I think it's the right thing to do. You got to have faith in him. And even though you knew eventually he'd break out of it, they originally not wanted, in the second issue. Well, they wanted they wanted to kind of tell a the two story issue limited like, series. Oh wait, they wanted to tell the story as though you didn't know what the truth was, and then eventually, like a year or two down the road, the truth would be revealed. I think you have to reveal it early on this character. At this time. For what they did with that character, yes, because you have to have faith in the character. Right. That completely undermines the whole point of Captain right. America. That's the hero. Yeah, right. that, like, you can't like, suddenly have a, a movie where Luke is going to be all completely on the dark side. Right. Revealed to be a Sith Lord. Yeah. <laughs> well, not only a Sith Lord, but the whole time, like even when he was on yeah, the farm. Right, you know, right, the whole I mean, time. That's, like, that's what like, it equates to. 
like Emperor Palpatine visited him as a child, and he's right. just known the whole time. Or oh, oh, Owen and Owen and Beru raised him as a Sith. Lord. And that's interesting. It's actually kind of funny to bring that up. They actually kind of, in some ways, made that a plot point. With, you know, Luke staring at his hand, looking at Darth Vader's hand. You know, they showed that he was he could cross over and right, stuff right. like that. Now they could do that with Cap. Saying like you're doing that, but you're taking on the uh, you know the tactics of your enemy and stuff like that. They could dabble with that, but you don't make him a secret yeah, agent. It makes the that. character more interesting. It's like I've always said about Superman. It's more interesting when Superman walks the line of, you know, one of the might... best episodes I have ever seen. You probably know the one we're talking about with uh, Justice League. Which one? Um, the Justice Lords. Oh yeah. Of course. Brilliant. Yeah. Anytime anybody says, oh, I hate it when people criticize, you know, when they say, oh, if I kill you, I'll become just like you. That's such a trope in movies. I'm like, watch that episode. Yeah. That's the whole point right. of yeah. that story. That's the most. When Superman crosses that line. Because yeah. it's funny, because even in that story, they're still trying to do good. Right. That's the one That's what makes thing it so interesting. It. And mm-hmm. It's so compelling. Yeah. And then, you know, in the movies, just like, cracking a neck because yeah, it's like oh, yeah right i think even. there are, i think there are ways that characters can cross the line but i don't think cap be using questionable means to do it is the way i think the way they did it in the civil war comic is the right way to have cap cross that line like mm-hmm. he's a hero but he believes in autonomy from the government right so like you know he he becomes a fugitive he rebels against the government for that reason i think Crossing that line is a good line for Cap to cross. There, you can have the characters. So, Winter venture- Soldier and Civil War were both about right. that. You mm-hmm. can have the character cross over into territory that you might not have expected them to cross over, and that becomes interesting. But making him making him a villain, it's not the right thing for Cap. I just don't think it's the right move for him. And that's my favorite superhero. And I know the character well enough that I can say that I'm mm-hmm. fairly confident I, I believe that. Mm-hmm. So I'm glad that they did that. Yeah. Um, all right, so the next topic of conversation is one that is sure to uh, incite wrath and rage and scrutiny and all forms of other badness. Sounds ominous. Dragon Ball Z. Oh, yes. I've heard it said in some circles, <laughs> in some back alleys, uh, written on the walls, on some stalls. See, now this is going to be a case where what we were talking earlier about spin, I don't know how you spun it to Tom. That's the thing. I don't know. So, you know, this is Valis guy. He introduced me to anime. But, oh, my God, let me tell you what this heathen does. He, uh, you don't want me to repeat what he said. <laughs> but uh, as I understand Should I say it, it so you don't have to say it? Uh, I'll say it. I, You know, I started it. I'll finish it. <laughs> Um, as I understand it, we are all fans of Dragon Ball Z here. Mm-hmm. But two of us. But I am a bit of an oddball rare chicken in this yes, one. In that two of us watch it the proper way. <laughs> <laughs> and one of us is a filthy, dirty, nasty, stinking heathen. <laughs> I. E. No spit at all on this. Yeah. Prefers <laughs> the English dub mm-hmm. to the Japanese voices. Yes. Now, this is the reason I wanted to ask this question is, you know, and I overproduced that. No, oh, trust me, I'm laughing about it too. So, yeah, no, totally, go for it. Uh, but this is a curious oddity to me. Yeah, well, because, because I've never heard of this before. And so, uh, wait, let me let me. The, the, the big thing that that you that you haven't said is the fact that I used to watch the original subbed before See, it came out here. I was getting to that. Mm-hmm. Let me finish my statement. Okay, go for it. Damn you, filthy heathen. But I find it interesting that an anime fan 
mm-hmm. and somebody who has exposed themselves to the Japanese version first would prefer the later English dub of Dragon Ball. And I find this curious because you are the only person I've ever met or known or read about anywhere where this is the case. And I would like to hear your reasons why. Um, I will tell you, ever since the out of all the other... Well, first off, let me paraphrase and say, um, out of anything that I've heard, the Japanese first and then the uh, American, I cannot stand anything else. Like Ranma, I cannot stand the the dubbed version. The voice is no word in that. They just do not fit. Well, it's Dra- a, I believe it's a female voice actress doing the voice of male Ranma. Isn't that correct? Uh, I want to say yes. I think but I'm not I think that's. I think you're right. I think that's mm-hmm. the case, and our it just first doesn't exposure, fit. Our first exposure to Ranma was in English. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, well, we had been watching it. The ones that you gave us, yes. Dallas. This so. was like before Viz actually picked up the rights. Yeah, because so. oh. we we had it. Uh, Danian had gotten it from you, mm-hmm. and then Danian introduced me and Duckhead to it via you. For some reason, you never participated. You were always like the night giver. Crew. You were the giver, but then we would always have the experiences. That's probably because I was night crew or something like that. Probably, time. probably. So like Project Echo, we did the trade off. Yeah, we all know that story. You lent us Project Echo, and Danian and myself and Duckhead and Terry all got together at mm-hmm. Duckhead's basement and experienced it and changed all of our lives. I didn't know Terry was there in that one. Yeah, Terry was there too, but you weren't. And uh, oddly enough, it must have been the, the night crew thing, like you said. But then uh, Ranma was the same way. You gave it to Danian. Danian got me and Duckhead on it, and you know the rest is history. But we had a lot of it before the Viz ones came out. Yeah, but. Always, I've run into people who have watched, you know, like I experienced Akira for the first time with the old dub with mm-hmm. Cam Clark. And that's what the first one I heard, and all I heard was Leonardo's voice. Yeah, totally. Exactly. Um, so when I watched it subtitled, I was like, well, this is weird, mm-hmm. you know? But, um, you know, Ranma experienced in Japanese first, so I liked the Japanese. But so any, pretty much like the first one you hear is the one you kind of gravitate toward and stick yep. to. Um, this is the one rare case i'll admit i'm an oddity i know there's like i've met one or two that are in my case too i say about one or two i can't even name them but i know i have at like i think at asin or something like that i talked with them and they were the saying the same thing but like i said we're very oddity for me going to the subject on there for me i i guess it really starts with the fact that i never liked the voices even in the beginning Hmm. of watching Dragon Ball Z. As much as I love the, the the anime and I love the story of the fights and stuff like that, it always annoyed me that every single one of the characters, no matter what they were, Goku, Vegeta, and all of them, sounded like little girls kicked in the balls. <laughs> that was the thing. I mean, I know why, because they probably they were from Dragon Ball over there. They were kids. They kept the same voice actors. But they were, that was a sad high pitch. And it just, it always drove me. It was, it was one of those little irritations in there. It's not something I ever thought would actually change. Yeah. It's never something I was looking to change. It was just always something that irritated me that I got sick of. And then when I saw the American dub, I'm like, I like that. Yeah. I, I listened to the voice. And, you know, I love, you know, Sean Schimmel's voice. Sean Schimmel, there. yeah. Yeah, he does that. And, you know, Vegeta, you know. Damio Kakarot and stuff like that. I actually really, those voices worked very well for me. It was interesting because I remember I heard your, uh, you were talking, I was listening to your podcast before talking about how you'd miss the nuances and stuff if from the translation and that. Yeah. But then I was kind of thinking to myself, I was like, Winston, I'm like, oh God, if I talk to these guys, I wonder what they're going to think. So, like, no, yeah, I, for, I, it's just uh, something about maybe it's because I was just brought up with like, like you were mentioning how 
villains sound a certain way or something like that. But yeah, no, I really enjoyed Piccolo's voice being very much deeper and stuff like that. He sounded much more stoic, you know. Okay. I did, there was something about that that I really liked a lot more. It resonated. It, they were better. They they made them feel more identifiable. Not every one of the characters sounded like a little girl. Hmm. <laughs> Even yeah, Piccolo it, and Vegeta sounded really high-pitched and too young for me. Yeah, but Goku's really the only one who has that. Oh, he's the one way out there. Yeah, Goku's really the only one in the Japanese that I can it's think like of. like Mickey Mouse on drugs. Yeah, but he's the only one that I can think of in the Japanese that sounds like that. And you know, No, I remember with Vegeta. Final flash, you know. Do you agree with that? No, I don't agree with that. Vegeta's voice is more like Final Flash. It's not really like a like a girl's voice. Mm-hmm. Kakaroto. Like I don't. That's really... true. Because when he went with a picture, oh. Kakaroto. You know, stuff yeah. like that. I can picture that. I see what you mean. Yeah. Yeah. I don't. I don't think he sounds like, and I don't think Piccolo does either. Piccolo has a very soft voice. Yeah. And he'll be like, uh, when he gets mad, he'll be like, Sangaku! Mm-hmm. You know, or whenever he's being stoic and stuff like that, and he'll just be like disregarding the other characters for their idiocy. Mm-hmm. Uh, Kuririn, or Krillin in yeah. the English, he kind of has like a bit of a high pitch yeah, voice. Yeah, I would put, yeah, he sounds very cartoony I would in the American. Put Krillin, yeah, I That's would, one I don't necessarily like yeah, I would in the put, American. Yeah, I would put Kuririn in the same category with Goku. but Not uh, quite as Not, not quite Vegeta as and Piccolo, pitch. though. I would disagree in, with that statement. But as far as the high, Goku, I could see that. I mean, mm-hmm. I could see the that. The Goku being, family, like yeah. all the boys. Yeah, yeah because... It's, because the even, same voice actress. Yeah, but yeah. we all know the history. It's because, you know, famous Japanese voice actress did the voice of the child Mm-hmm. Male Goku in Dragon Ball, and it and it worked. Yep. But then, as the character grows, they don't switch because famous voice actress. So you know, it's yeah, exactly. So if you know the history, it's like it's okay. But if you don't like the voice, that's another story. Right. You know, it's not right. going to resonate with. It's you. the same principle as keeping the same actors to play characters that they start as children. Like as yeah. the show goes on, they get older, and you know that they're aging more quickly than the characters are. But <laughs> you just kind of accept it because you'd rather keep the original character than have them recast the actor, yeah. like Harry actors. Potter and stuff like that. Yeah, yeah. yeah Game of Thrones it's... suffers from it too, big time, because mm-hmm. there's a lot of young Starks, and the show's been going for six years now. And of course, a lot of those younger actors have gotten older, but you just go with it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's the old, uh, you know, I mean, a kind of a rare thing for an animation to age the character. So in this case, what do you do? You mm-hmm. um, I like Goku's voice in the Japanese. I'm I, just I, used to it. Yeah. I, I, it's just, it's very distinct and unique to me. He's yeah. a very distinct and unique character yeah. in the world. Well, he's also an inspiration for like everything else. I mean, look at like, you know, like the character Monkey D. Luffy. It sounds very, I often say, look, sounds just like Goku and stuff yeah. like that. Mm-hmm. It's, um, yeah, it's just, that's been the voice. Mm-hmm. So to me, it's like, well, that's the voice. I accept it, you know, but that and I would be totally the same, like with Ranma and stuff like that. Yeah. Any of those characters, Yoga's voice, Shampoo's voice. My God, even though they did the American one, didn't do a too bad version. Yeah, of shampoo. I would say that was a, mm-hmm. uh, that was passable. And it's never to disparage the voice actors themselves. Exactly. It's more of it's the, just... You know, sometimes bad casting choices, sometimes bad scripts. Mm-hmm. You can't capture those. And a lot nuances. of us could be get, get used to just the nuances of their voice, the little subtleties that they brought into it. Yeah. So, yeah, certainly the Japanese shampoo is a very unique mm-hmm. voice. Yeah, I haven't seen 
Japanese ranma in so long, I couldn't even tell you what she sounds like anymore. Oh, I can picture every single one of them from Ukyo to yeah. there, exactly yeah. how they sound. I really like Ukyo. That's why I was like shocked to discover that it, that, that it was uh, Bulma from Dragon Ball. Yeah. Same voice. <laughs> and then when you hear it, you're like, oh, yeah, duh. You know, but <laughs> just one of those things that never really – it didn't click until I read it somewhere online. And then I was, it was like, like, oh, my God, thing. yeah. It's like the same thing that happened with me. You would, since you don't watch One Piece, but it was uh, the one of the main characters, Frankie. Mm-hmm. Uh, he actually voices another character who's um, um, Mr. Two Bancre. Okay. Who's very feminine in the way he talks, stuff like that. He's very much a come away. You know, he's, 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 he's very, it's the, kind of the new half thing. He's, he's, okay. he's like, yeah, he's, he's supposed to be that. So, but it's like, but it's the same voice actor. And I didn't even know at the time, but when I found out, I'm like, wait, oh, okay. You could totally hear him then. Yeah. So. But it's with the Dragon Ball. It's like if you don't like the voice of Goku, well, tough luck because it's Gohan. It's Goku. Same one. Yeah. And right now they're doing uh, a thing in Dragon Ball Super where there is a villain who is. Oh, the I've heard about that. Goku Dark Black. Goku, or Goku yeah, Black. Goku Black. That's so racist. Now you got another one. That's, that's Masako Nozawa. So mm-hmm. yeah, you're. Uh, yeah, you're not going to like that season. You probably <laughs> wait for the dub on that one. So yeah. that's probably going to be Actually, I don't know if I'll be waiting for a while because they did um uh Gods. They did the uh, movie with the Gods. Did you watch it? Dubbed? Yes, I watched it dubbed. Okay. So, yeah. Uh did you know that uh my hero Vic Mignana does the voice of Brawly? You mentioned that in the podcast. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> and he sings the theme song too for uh, Dragon Ball Kai. Does he? Yeah. Oh, that's kind of cool. Which is actually neat to know that he actually sings. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's crazy. Like, uh, and there was a funny, weird thing that happened. I may have told you about this, Tom, but uh, um, Shatner did an appearance at a convention, and Vic Mignana introduced him. Like before he came out, he went out and talked to the audience, and somebody in the audience requested, like, "Could you sing the theme song?" And he like impromptu like did it. At a Star Trek convention, he sang the Dragon Ball Kai theme song, and then he introduced William Shatner, and Shatner comes out and he's like, my God, I've met him a bunch of times, and I never knew he could sing. Wow, he's got some pipes on him, you know? It's like it's just <laughs> it's funny to hear William Shatner making commentary on a Dragon Ball theme song sung mm-hmm. by Vic Mignogna. How crazy like is it? Weird for... clash of worlds, of how my cra- worlds. How crazy is it for Vic to like have met William Shatner? That's also sure. crazy, too. Cool. Captain Kirk meeting Captain Kirk. Well. That's like speaking, speaking of which, it's a bit of a tangent, but now that Paramount has announced their revised rules for fan productions. Did you read them? I read them. They're, they're atrocious. They're draconian. It's hilarious. But, like, how can Star Trek continue to you know do what? what they're doing? Uh, that's up in the air. I, I haven't really heard. Uh, all they did oh, was it's post- because of the new series. series or they're, putting, they're laying down the law. And they're the, putting uh, fan film rules, it's, it's, very draconian fan film it's rules. It's because J.J. Um, Abrams and Justin Lin came out in defense of Axanar. So Paramount was like, oh, well, shit, I guess we better let it go through. But now, after that, they're like, well, from now on, this is how it's got to be. The rules are so hilarious that I have almost been inspired to create my own Star Trek fan film. Breaking every one of them? No, no, no. Following them. Doing a parody Star Trek fan film that follows all the guidelines. Oh, I would have to read this. I could see inspiration the way it, you're describing oh, it that way. I, that's that's like uh, something I want to do. I want to get some cameras together and film a Star Trek fan film that follows every single rule. It reminds me and of then one of keep the... pausing it. Mm-hmm. Like as the film is going on, pause it with an arrow pointing to follow rule. this rule. 
you know, and then you know, continue ding. on and yeah, up ding, there. yeah, ding every time, you know. Everything there. They, it they reminds so me of bad. the um, I don't know if you saw the video. It was just a really short one, but it was a, it was one of the uh, promo videos for Xbox One, where um, one of the uh, heads I forget what it was. He's like he's like Xbox One is where you're going to be able to uh, uh, you know Skype with your friends, listen to sports. Being able to play the game and it's all at the same time in social media, all at the same time, and then it cuts to this guy sitting there playing game, and there's this one guy with an iPad like pointing at this, another one's giving him a sports update, the other one's sitting there is like, "Why don't you say anything?" And just like, he <laughs> just screams, and that's it. And it cuts. <laughs> that's awesome. <laughs> that's kind of how I feel with the way you describe oh, that. So, yeah, the overwhelm of what the hell. <laughs> so, um. You get back on point here with back Jack to my Bolo. heathenism. Um, actually, I'm I'm on board with that script, that, that that explanation. I don't have a problem with that. The, yeah. the English voices just click for you. Um, they resonate more with those characters for you, and particularly Goku. I will say, I think Goku is the really problematic one for me. I'll admit, Vegeta and Piccolo were not that bad mm-hmm. as in the Japanese one, but it's like it's just they sounded very similar to me to Goku. But Goku was the one was the key one. That's just, yeah, my problem, my, my really, my main problem with the dub is just the script, the changes. You know, uh, the, j- if they would just—I mean, stick... you're not talking about like the whole interdimension, next dimension kind of thing. Or yeah, that, like that and the—that well, was a whole. Day, we but... understand why they had to do that, but I wish that it wasn't. I wish that they would use the proper names for the moves. Um, oh, I mean, they, they they use Kamehameha, but like a lot of the other ones got modified. Like, mm. what is it? Special Ken. special beam cannon. Yep, the guy special of beam. Makan Kosampo, and like, I don't spirit, like that. Spirit Bomb. Yeah, it's called Spirit Bomb. I don't like that. Call them the proper names. Even though you're American, you can use the proper names. I yeah, think for they... you, if for you can say Hadoken. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Goku can say Genki Dama. Yeah, mm-hmm. exactly. Yeah. Well, yeah, I mean, heck, you're saying, uh, you know, you know, Kamehameha, so. Yeah, that's, like, that's the only one they kept, I guess, probably because it's like the iconic, you know, move and whatever. Mm-hmm. But... My, um,. My issue with the dub is not really about the voices, although I don't really like the voices. My issue with the dub is the soundtrack. Yeah, that's true too. My issue with the dub is they the should music. have kept the soundtrack. It Dragon Ball has a certain whimsical charm to it, and I feel that whimsical charm is lost whenever your musical bed is guitar riffs mm-hmm. and which is also I'm, i i know you're I, I'm, I'm waiting to dodge the glass for this one i agree with that except i do love the american vegeta theme the guitar riff one i don't know why oh shit <laughs> i don't i don't yeah i, I can't say i, I, I don't know that vegeta dun, has a theme in japanese dragon ball does dun. he yeah he does um it's a very subtle one. It's yeah, very yeah. they play they play it in uh, a couple of the movies he appears in because that's when he has his big moments a lot is in the movies. He'll make that appearance and tell the villain, you know, he's mine to kill. Mm-hmm. You can't, you know, and then mm-hmm. they'll play his his theme song. I wouldn't be able to. And I'd be on board with that too because I'm actually going back to East. I uh, have like the East anime when they brought the when they brought the uh, American one over, or when they when they brought the anime over, they replaced the music because they used uh, East Symphony soundtrack oh. originally, and they replaced in the American one they replaced it with uh, another version of the Japanese one, but it was a guitar riffs of that music, mm-hmm. and I'm like, no, keep yeah. the symphony soundtrack. Yeah. Yeah. That that made it feel like the epic fantasy. Yeah. yeah, that's and with Dragon Ball, there are a lot of really funny moments and a lot of moments that are light even in the midst of like all this terrible stuff happening like the ginyu team 
when the Ginyu team is interacting, there's oh. a lot of actually <laughs> funny music in the background. Right. And I feel that the English version is just tone deaf on the music. Like the I've music. never seen I've never seen that scene with like the English and Japanese, how the yeah, music is. It's just it's to me like they're not capturing the essence of the conversation. They're not capturing the essence of the scene. They're not capturing the um the silliness of the Ginyu team. Like they're trying to Oh, I, I caught it full on. When, when they first appeared, I'm just like because mm-hmm. I actually didn't see that in the Japanese yeah. one. No, yeah. the, the music is not. The music is not in tune with the visuals mm-hmm. in, the, in the English dub. Now later on, they kind of kept it the same. I think later on, they kind of realized that people wanted it a certain way. I know they corrected a lot of the mistakes later on. Well, you were shocked when I was telling you that there was actually a version out there with the English dub where they referred to you know Hercule, quote unquote, as Mister Satan, his right. proper name. Yeah. So yeah, the, it, had, I, it was it was you know one. Though they actually call them Satan. Yeah, well, Mr. S- not not obviously a Japanese pronouncement, but it's actually you'll hear Sean Schimmel say, "Mr. Satan, take Videl out of here, and you know we'll take care of this." I didn't well, know that. Just to make just to make the distinction, the character's name is actually Satan because if you read the kana for it, it's Satan. It's not Satan. Right? Mm-hmm. So like you'd pronounce it Satan. So they mispronounced it. But I understand they were using least it's not Hercule, right? Yes. Um, and Mr. Satan is like, it's a play on words. It's like I'm the de- I'm the demon of martial arts. I'm the yes. fighting master of martial arts. Or I guess Hercule, you could say, and like I'm the Hercules of martial arts. I, I I guess, and I guess the the thing in there is among men of Earth, maybe he is. Oh yeah, that's know? always a thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, that, but that's the play on words. But like, I've just always preferred. He got I think, uh, what did he get? Like two hundred and something, you know, two hundred and something on the punch machine. Yeah, oh pretty yes, good. pretty good. Yeah. Um, but I think I think I just like Mister Satin more because I think it just captures the absurdity of the character better. Yeah. Like mm-hmm. Hercule doesn't sound, it doesn't sound over the top enough. It sounds like a made up word. Yeah. Whereas if you call someone Mister Satan, I believe in one of the Fatal Furies. Uh, no, in one of the King of Fighters games, when Joe Higashi wins, he'll say, I'm the Satan of martial arts. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, it's ridiculous. It's absurd. And, like, mm-hmm. the character is absurd. Joe's not entirely absurd, but he has an absurd sense of humor. Right. That's one of the things I like. I always liked about Joe Higashi. He was always the fun character of the uh, – he's the Michelangelo to yeah, there. Uh, exactly. Yeah. Um, so to the team. I like I, – I just – I like that. What and an I, interesting character, um, Mr. Satin. Like, just a throwaway. I loved a him. A throwaway, like – like parody joke character that became like the most important character yes in the Majin Buu saga. they actually made him they made him a very vitally important character well I mean that's one of the things I there was actually a scene um like I don't without, know if you'll actually hear this it was uh, a friend of mine Pat he caught he called me when we were watching the American one uh he watches the American one too I don't I don't know which one he prefers but we were watching at the same time when it was on Adult Swim and stuff like that mm-hmm. and he called that moment when uh Mr. Satan um, hit uh, when Boo was going to kill the dog, and Mr. Satan went to hit him. Yeah. And like that. But then we said, he's like, he called me up. He's like, you, I want to hear you tell me that Mr. Satan is awesome. I'm like, I will do that with absolute pleasure. He <laughs> is the best. Because that's the thing. The difference is, if Goku in that particular scene, Goku can land that punch and knock him something there. Mr. Satan knows he has no chance. Right. But still will give his life for that. Right. So that's why I love for all the stupidity yeah, that, whole that he subplot, does. That whole subplot with the dog. That's what changed like, the character. Yeah. That's yep. what changed Satan into something important. And rather mm-hmm. than just being a joke character, it, it turned him into a vital part of the storyline. Yep. Yeah. Um, 
Akira Toriyama has gone on record as saying Mr. Satin is his favorite character. <laughs> Isn't that funny? Good. It's, it's his outlet for humor. Yeah. If Akira Toriyama does humor very well, and humor used to be what he did. Mm-hmm. But Dragon Ball Z got so wrapped up in the superhero stuff that he didn't have as much opportunity to express the humorous yeah. elements of it, which is why he kept characters like Krillin around. Yeah. So he could do that sort of thing. But like Mr. Satin was just such a much better opportunity for that because unlike Krillin, Mr. Satin had no chance against anybody. Yep. Now it's uh, in Dragon Ball Super, it's uh, Emperor Pilaf is like the joke character. Yeah. Are they continuing him in Super? Yeah. Pilaf? Oh, yeah. wow. Uh, in the Dragon Ball Super continuity, uh, they, uh, Pilaf, Mai, and Shu are there. They, at some point off screen, made a wish on the Dragon Balls for youth. Mm, they, okay. they wanted to like, that Because that was, they were in um, Battle of the Gods as well. Yeah, so they, were, they wished themselves into little kids. Mm-hmm. The, the dragon's like, I, oh, okay. Are they want... continuing? I, I don't want to hear too much as well, but are they continuing that weird kind of awkward, hi, I'm the 40-year-old dating trunks? trunks? <laughs> um, very interesting because, as you know, they just brought back future trunks. Mm-hmm. In the future, grown up, same age as him, Mai, is his girlfriend. Oh, yeah. okay. So, yeah, she's there in the future with him fighting against Goku Black. So if this a future Mai comes back, too, is what you're saying. Yeah. Oh, ooh, that's yeah. interesting. Yeah. So. so it's a neat use of the character, I think, to give Trunks, like, more dynamics. It's, it's pretty neat. Mm-hmm. Very good storyline going on right now. It's very fascinating, keeping me guessing. It's Toriyama, you know? I mean, it's like... Dragon Ball, we've talked about this when Dragon Ball GT came out. It's like, you know, it's the only Dragon Ball around. It's fine. I'm watching it, you know. But when you watch Dragon Ball Super, you could just like, yes, this is Toriyama writing this. This is not mm. other people writing this. <laughs> he, just, he knows these characters. And uh, one of the greatest things is that Bulma is still relevant. Like, he makes sure that she is still relevant. And he's done so much to show the on-screen relationship between the chemistry and Vegeta between her and Vegeta like that was never I needed more of that that was one of my biggest problems yeah that was never really shown like how does their relation yeah how does their relationship work I don't really get this and Dragon Ball Super shows a lot of them Mm -hmm. together and interacting and DBZ abridged actually made a good explanation in my opinion that actually worked which one what was that DBZ abridged yeah it was just them arguing in the middle of a uh Toronto Vegeta's training session and just finally you know yelling at each other they both stopped like your place, yes. <laughs> nice. And it's like you hear like That's... the sounds of the sounds of the sounds, and then you ah, oh, you see the final flash fly out. And but by the ending scene was great. My favorite scene is like, it's like oh yes, yeah. so it's like wait, you weren't wearing a condom. What the fuck is a condom? <laughs> Boom, and it cuts away from there. I just died. <laughs> there is some great stuff in Dragon Ball Z abridged with uh, Vegeta. And Future Trunks, when mm-hmm. Future Trunks is trying to establish a relationship with yep. Vegeta. And, uh, you know, he's like, uh, how's the training going with uh, Vegeta, Trunks? I don't know. Let me ask. Hey, Dad, you want to train together? Fuck you. We were watching the most recent one with the, uh, they did the Android one. Where oh. the, for, which I forget which Android it was. Okay. It's like, whatever it is, don't tell Dad. Don't tell Dad. It's another. another. Oh, great. You know, you, may, you miscounted this one, too, huh? <laughs> I was wondering, are we up to like five? <laughs> <laughs> you came back to order us with two and there's five others that you didn't tell us about? <laughs> it's so good. It's so good. <laughs> I love it. 
Yeah, but uh, a lot of character stuff in Dragon Ball Super. That's you know, what yeah, I really the ironic like thing about, about a bridge is I actually like it because one of the things is they tried to parody yeah. the American voices. Mm-hmm. So I actually thought the Vegeta the guy, one's actually pretty good. I thought the guy doing Vegeta was the real guy. Was I had, it? I had to, no. I had. I don't think. Oh, it you is. Had to check. I had to look it up. I'm like, oh he my god! Pretty close. Like the, the the guys, they got the real guys to do this. I was, this was crazy. But uh, no, it's not. But damn, it sounds damn close. Man. Yeah, he totally sounds. He's to- he just nails that voice perfectly. You know, it does it just really close, really off. That sounds pretty good, doesn't it? He does that pretty. What good. mine? Can you say? I am the prince of all Saiyans once again. I am the prince of Saiyans once again! Of all Saiyans! He's got it. <laughs> it's good. That used to be one of the one of the lines they used to laugh about. Yeah. Uh, because they showed it on the commercial bumper. They showed it on the commercial bumper all the time. It's bumper. over 9,000! <laughs> exactly. It is over 9,000. <laughs> your, your impersonation is over 9,000. Right. <laughs> impersonation level, over 9,000. It's very good. But, uh, you know, despite my dislike for the American dub, I am familiar with the voices. And, mm-hmm. uh, you know, like I said, nothing against the voice actors. It's not I feel fault. bad because I'm like, I'm one to like aspire to be a voice actor, but you like know more about the voice actors out there than I do. <laughs> I feel That's bad something about that. we should talk about. Do mm-hmm. you want to talk about that? Well, there's really nothing to talk about other than I want to be a voice actor. Yeah. <laughs> Well, and that's just, why you. Uh, I was surprised. You told me you had a, like a Yeti microphone, and I was mm-hmm. like, "Why do you have a Yeti microphone?" And you were telling. And that's me what I said. That was, I was like, interested in doing VO work. That is amazing. That would be great. I would love to see that happen, man. Mm-hmm. So, if anybody out there knows how to make that happen, <laughs> give Mike Vallis a job. Friend of mine, old friend of mine, uh, got me a book, and for like, it's like really the whole like it was like the basically the Bible of VO work. I was reading through that, and sadly, I've been like, it's, it's one of those off and on things I've been doing since like 2008, mm-hmm. wanting to do. It's like, I'm wanting to do, wanting to do, wanting to do, but then World of Warcraft yeah. shows up, and I'm okay, I'm going to do this, then Skyrim. <laughs> yeah, those, yeah, those things, things get cut off. So I, I, I've made it a, a thing of myself that after I'm done with Fallout, the Legion's coming out for Warcraft, so I'm going to play, I'm going to do that one. I actually have to schedule this with my gaming. After Legion, I'm focusing on that. Yeah. So I'm actually thinking of just even cutting out gaming and doing that because at some point I want to play Witcher because hmm. that's an open world game. So yeah, it's uh, which I want to bring up later because I want to ask you a question about that with Zelda. Well, um, I'm satisfied on the Dragon Ball subject. So why don't we I'm go glad on? I survived. Huh. I mean, I think your 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 reasoning was fine. I mean, I just I was just curious about it because it's such an anomaly. I, you mentioned Akira. I'll even find an anomaly because that's like I said. Any other anime, I'm like that. Uh, Although I did give you the addendum before, and I'll say that again. Um, I actually do sometimes prefer dubbed when it's a calm anime. Like, for example, Monster. If you ever watched that one? Mm-hmm. I could actually like watch the dubbed one of that. That's actually pretty good when they do that. It's any, vo- but, but any particular voice that has like exaggerations like One Piece or Naruto or anything like that. If they, d- and like, you know, I was, the one example I've, uh, I always give is when a character goes, Nanda Sky, you know, their mouth will be opening versus an American voice actor will be like, what are you doing? You can't do that yeah. with a mouth open like that. It yeah. doesn't work. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh. That's, that's when it's jarring to me. You brought up Akira and how you'd said that you thought that it was weird hearing it in Japanese. I'll yeah. tell you this. For my first exposure to Akira, Akira project. I originally had the I had Japanese raw version of Akira Okay, originally. But I knew the story because I read the comic book uh, published in America by Epic Comics originally in color, which I didn't like. I didn't like it in color. Hmm. No, I didn't like the comic book in color. And the reason why is because 
as well as it was colored, like Steve Olaf and Ali Optics did the they did they colored by computer at the time it was a very legendary coloring method for that comic. Mm. But I wanted to read it in its pure original format, which was manga was not published in color. It was right. published in black and white. Mm-hmm. Every once in a while you got like a few pages in color. And I did as long as Or the like same, a duotone. Right. As long as the same pages were printed as long as it was printed the way it was printed in japan it was fine it's not because i'm some japanophile or anything it's just because i want to experience it in the way that it was originally published mm-hmm. um later on kodansha came out with a black and white publishing of it i still have all my my color epic comics i'll never get rid of them yeah but the i prefer the japanese uh the kodansha also the pages read the right the right way mm-hmm. so it's all reversed pages right. which is how it should be because it's always weird to me to read a comic before i know that the characters are right-handed yeah and in the comic they're all left-handed yep. <laughs> um, but akira was one where it's like when i when i i saw it in raw then i saw it in english and i was like i really want this to be subtitled in japanese but not because i prefer the japanese voices over the english voices um i know that a lot of people used to make fun of uh of the japanese pronunciation of uh canada's name cuz they oh, think yeah. it was canada but <laughs> right. the point is the character's name it's not canada it's canada that's right. how you pronounce the name mm-hmm. so, i never knew that actually uh, it's not canada it's canada 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 so okay. it's like canada but it's canada yeah uh, so like with can- a k yeah canada is a americanized pronunciation of the name mm-hmm. but it's not an accurate pronunciation of the name but i'm not it's like really krillin right yep. exactly when the character's name is not krillin it's kudin mm-hmm. you know so but the reason i wanted akira subtitled wasn't because i preferred it i preferred the voices it was because akira is a very japanese story oh sure it's very much focusing on life in japan after a second sort of nuclear incident with Akira's birth or Akira's mm-hmm. going crazy um, and blowing up Tokyo. Um, I don't feel that – I feel that whenever I watch a very Japanese story with English voices, something feels off to me. Right. If it's a samurai anime, I want it in Japanese. If right. it's anything that has Japanese characters as its main characters, I want it in Japanese. Other stuff I can take or leave it doesn't really matter you yeah know? dragon mm-hmm. ball is like one of the least japanese anime out there it's pretty, yeah, pretty, actually, pretty universal i actually tried watching the dub just for the heck of it to do with that um with inuyasha mm. i actually only just started watching that like a couple of years ago right. and i got to the point but yo i completely agree with you culturally a dub does not work because it's so ingrained in the japanese culture yeah ron of that. Just, yeah ron was ron very much right. definitely akira i just I, ron, I just hate the voices just because i'm yeah. so used to the japanese ones but i tried now, i was watching the uh subbed of inuyasha and then i just tried the dub and i'm like ah just no it did it was very jarring because of the whole stylized nature of do it. you remember that in the viz dub of ranma we've already talked about how it was the female mm-hmm. doing the male ranma Around season six of the Viz dub, they changed the voice actor to the fella that did Inuyasha's voice. Really? Yeah. Hmm. So it's like, it's it's a mixed bag because while it's a better voice, it's too fucking late. Well, right. you know, the funny thing is, I believe the, the one who does male Inuyasha in Japan is the one who does uh, male Inuyasha in, um, or does male Ranma in Japan. Oh. No, as a matter of fact, did you ever see? So the, I guess that makes sense. Well, did you ever say that? No, that's when you're describing that. It didn't make sense to me. Did you ever see the um, 
um, the Rumi- the Rumiko Takahashi, like a, something like thirty or forty year anniversary one. Um, I don't know. Oh my god, they did this like a, it was it was a DVD set. Was it a special with the head like Lum and Inuyasha yeah. and Ranma together? I do, yes. I have that. Yes. Yeah, and, and in there there was actually a scene where Ranma male and uh, Inuyasha met, and like you know he's like he's like oh who is this? And then like Inuyasha's like you sound like me. <laughs> yeah, it's perfect. They did the same thing in the uh, the turtles with uh, Rob Paulson. Did they in that cartoon in that yeah, in that in episode? The, in the crossover? I haven't seen that one. Yeah, but, they, oh, that's uh, actually pretty good. I was they wondering a, if they yeah, would. They did a Rob Paulson joke because he's Raphael in the old, and then, Donatello in the new, and they were like, "Well, why do you sound so weird?" Me? Have you heard yourself lately? <laughs> it's, it's one guy doing all those voices. It's kind of like when they had um, what's his face in Pixar? Um, he's in every one of the Pixar movies. Who's you know this? who I'm talking about? Voice of Ham. Voice of um, oh, uh, uh, John Larroquette. No, no. Uh, what's the guy? Older no, guy. The other guy from uh, um, uh, God. What's his name? Ah, I don't know. I know who you're talking. Not Ray about. or something like that. I forget. But yeah, he made a joke. It's like, hey, they're just using the same voice actor when they did in that. Uh, I think it was in Cars or something. I like can that. totally. I can see the dude, but I can't think of his name. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I know exactly. Already. Yeah, he's yeah, kind of he, like they're he is Sid. In all of them. Yeah, yeah. yeah pretty much. Sid, yeah. That's what I call him. I said he's like Pixar's version of Sid. Yeah. <laughs> so you you said you had a question about The Witcher. Oh, actually, it was just when I was listening to your podcast, it's not a question about The Witcher. Is I wanted your opinion on something because I'm curious about the impact of this, especially knowing that you're a Zelda fan, too, Um, that you play The Witcher. You say you're a big fan. My it's, The Witcher 3, I maintain, Witcher is the greatest video game ever made. Wow, I want to actually play that one. I'm afraid to because I'm actually playing Fallout, and I love that. And because I'm really big into, I've ever since Skyrim, I'm like, okay, that's it. I want open world games. I yeah, love open uh, world games. Fallout Three blew me away. I sunk seventy hours into the first week I played that game. That <laughs> game is fucking unbelievable. Fallout Three or Four? It's three. three. Okay. I, I could not get into Four. Really? Okay. I, I well, mind you, I've never played any Fallout prior to that. So okay. right. that's Fall- one thing I'll say. Yeah, going back to Fallout Three might be a little bit difficult for you, or you might really love it. Who knows? But Fallout Three, that that game, it fucking mm-hmm. consumed me. I got a speeding ticket driving home from work. To get home to, to get, get home to it? To play Fallout 3. Wow. That's dedication. That was probably about six or seven years ago. But, <laughs> um, I can see that. <laughs> I've called off of work to play games like three times, and I've actually taken days off of work to go and buy games on launch day or pick them up on midnight, and I'll have the next day off so I can play it all night. Resident Evil, I do that for. Mm-hmm. But anyway, so what's your question about The Witcher? Here's my thing. Uh, after seeing the new Zelda, them going open world, which I applaud. I've been saying that ever for since forever, since Zelda one. Friend of mine and I, we always talked about how like Zelda, the original Zelda, was actually an open world game. My question is, how now that Zelda's going open world? But the thing is, open world games like now there's games like Witcher, there's Fallout, th- Fallout Four, there's gonna be Skyrim remastered, and then eventually Horizon and stuff. How do you think Zelda? Is going to be viewed well. I mean, obviously, there's going to be the Zelda fans that are going to be like oh, Zelda, you know, and it doesn't yeah. matter. And but for there a lot are of- also going to be Zelda fans that are going to hate it because there are Zelda fans that don't like change. Yes, there's Zelda fans mm-hmm. that like. It's I, not a change I like, though. It's huh? not a change if you've played all the games because, well, like you said, open only world, like the one. first one. Yeah, well, but most Zelda- most people's first ones are there- Ocarina of Time. Well, yeah. there are Zelda fans that don't like any of the 3D games. There are Zelda fans that say Zelda should only be top down. 
Yeah. Mm-hmm. There are those Zelda fans are out there. No, then you're never going to please anybody with no matter what well, game you Well, Zelda play. fans are Nintendo fanboys in my opinion are the most annoying fanboys on the planet. Thank you. They'll excuse <laughs> they'll excuse any egregious offense Nintendo commits. Mhm. It's why it's why I'm a little upset about Pokemon Go's success. Not because the game is what it is, but I'll get back to the point, but it's because just like with the Nintendo Wii all the fanboys are going to come out of the woodwork and say, see, Nintendo's awesome because they're making money. Mm-hmm. But making money doesn't mean that they're serving my needs. Mm-hmm. You know? But then again, maybe I'm one of those fans that is just resistant to change. I don't know. But like, they touted the Wii's success as like proof that Nintendo still had it. Well, no, Nintendo didn't still have it because they weren't able to recapture the fans that they'd lost. They went yes. and got a completely new fan base. And that's why I, I kind of disagree with everybody saying the whole, the only reason the Wii U didn't sell well was because they had shared the same name with the Wii. No, I don't believe that. I actually believe they burned a lot of bridges. I, it, there's definitely partial to that. I think there is some truth, but I don't believe there's a whole truth. I think it's what you're saying. They burned a lot of people They burned with a the lot Wii. of bridges. No, they, and they're not going to appeal to the fans because... The two or three million people that will buy everything Nintendo puts out, they got them no matter what. Yep. It's like wrestling fans. The two or three million wrestling fans that complain about everything on the internet, the WWE doesn't need to cater to those people because they're going to fucking watch it no matter Mm -hmm. what. They went out and they got a new audience. So you can't say Nintendo still got it. What they got was something completely new. Mm-hmm. And that's what they have with Pokemon Go. But now the Nintendo fanboys are going to come out of the woodwork and, ah, it prints money. (laughs) You know, no, they're they're not doing. You people are people that are happy to line up and just keep getting kicked in the balls by Nintendo over and over and <laughs> over and over, and you love it. And I don't know why. Thank you, sir. May I have another? You yeah. know, I mean, I I just had my nest restored. I'll tell. I can tell you exactly why. Because they want to believe it's so good. I had this reaction with so many people who uh, I never saw Batman versus Superman. I know I've heard of that movie that is out there. I refer to it as a a movie about a man with superpowers fighting uh, against a man who dresses up as a bat who murders people with some Spartan chick running around between them. They both murder people. Yeah, exactly. So, well, that's why I saw um, the first one, Man of Steel, and that's all I ever needed to see. My stance on that one is, if you want to see a man, a movie about a man with superpowers, watch Man of Steel. If you ever want to see a movie about Superman, watch Captain America. <laughs> I like it. <laughs> so, um, anyways, but I was saying, the, the, the people that I've talked to that want to believe, like, there's one guy I was talking to at work. He was, I, I told him, like, but the fact that, like, Superman killed people, that Batman killed people, he immediately looked at me and said, yeah, but this is the beginning, bro. You got to understand. They're, you know, they're just learning. They made an excuse in their head to do that. I'm like, I don't believe the director's doing that. I don't believe there's a projector. I, I think he just did it for there. Especially when I heard uh, in Man of Steel, um, that, that was Zack Snyder who did that one, right? Yeah, he did both of them. The original ending was supposed to be him, was Zod getting punted back into the zone. That was the original ending. But he said he wanted to see if he could pull off Superman killing. Hmm. And Somebody he, and he didn't. He didn't pull it off. And the sad part is, he actually said he said because he, he was talking to some director. And the director said, "I was surprised he pulled it off." I'm like, "Bullshit!" Well, you this did. is this. I man, we're diverging on a tangent here, but this is. Well, yeah, I was, was talking about fanboyism. It was one of my because one of my questions was about Marvel versus DC, but I don't really want to have that question. But here's the: I, I was watching a, a a YouTuber put together a really good video on why Batman v Superman failed so hard, and he shows this 
interview with Zack Snyder where Zack Snyder says, I couldn't have a heat scene between Batman and Superman. And what a heat scene is in a movie is it's when two characters, two or more characters are having a passionate conversation about something and they're having a strong ideological difference or they're arguing about something. It's called the heat scene. He says, I just couldn't get into the idea of this dude dressed up like a bat having a heat scene with a dude dressed up with a big S on his chest and a cape. I just Why are you doing a superhero movie? Now, it's interesting you say that. My wife said the same exact thing. She's like, if you cannot buy superheroes getting into arguments with one another, if you can't take that seriously, why are you doing a superhero movie? Yes. And it, she pointed out something. She said, you know what this shows me? Zack Snyder doesn't fucking respect the source material. Exactly. Yeah. He doesn't get the characters. He doesn't care you know, about the material. And, and he doesn't care about it. He doesn't respect it. And... He just wants. He's like you know. He wants to put his own spin on it. Yeah. And- Zack Snyder is just he doesn't doesn't give a fuck about Batman or Superman. All he wants to do is be able to say, "Look what I made! Look cool action! Look what sequence. I made!" and swing his hips around and let his well, dick do a uh, do a uh, helicopter motion. I, I'm so glad you <laughs> while had- the while the movie makes money. I'm so glad you had that reaction because. My wife had the same reaction. It's nice to see people that I talk to that I treat intelligently are like coming back and they're <laughs> responding to that. It's like it's such a true thing. If you can't if if a per if you if you're going to make a Batman movie, you have to accept the reality that there is a person in the world that is so dedicated to their cause that they want to act as an ideological symbol against crime by yes. dressing up like a bat. That's a dude that fucking takes his job seriously. Mm-hmm. That's a dude that's going to get into an argument wearing that costume. Yeah, Zack Snyder <laughs> needs to watch uh, a couple episodes of Daredevil season two, where. Daredevil and, and the Punisher, Punisher are yeah. arguing well, about that, their well, ideology. That that's, that's a heat scene. That is a now, heat scene. Now, that's funny that you bring that up because in that YouTube video, the, when, he's they bring that up? when he's ridiculing Zack Snyder for saying that scene, the next thing he shows is a clip of the Punisher arguing with Daredevil from <laughs> Daredevil Season 2. Funny. <laughs> so that's amazing. So that is the problem. Zack Snyder doesn't respect the characters or the source material. And if that's how he feels, he has no business making a superhero movie. Yes. None yeah. at all. Fuck him, fuck Batman v Superman, and fuck you if you like that movie. You piece <laughs> of shit. <laughs> well anyway, said, sir. Anyway, so to get back to fanboys and Nintendo no, uh, and Zelda. Zelda. Okay, so Zelda open world. In my opinion, here's the challenge in open world Zelda faces. Every Legend of Zelda game in the past, the exploration elements are based on discovering secrets and uh, obtaining power ups and um, solving puzzles, mm-hmm. okay? Open world games like Fallout and Skyrim and The Witcher 3, the open world exploration elements are largely about side quests, interacting with the denizens of the world, and watching the mythology and lore of that world get fleshed out by completing these side quests. Mm-hmm. The gameplay that I've seen of the Zelda open world game, it was him hunting. It was him setting traps to kill animals because there's apparently some hunting element in it. It was him stealthing through grass. All that shit's really cool. But if those are the only things that you have to do in an open world setting, 
the game's going to get those aspects of the games are <laughs> mm-hmm. going to be extreme. That's one of the things boring. I was wondering. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's interesting because it's like uh, it reminds me a lot of uh, Red Dead Redemption. There are those elements in Red Dead Redemption mm-hmm. where you are hunting and you're doing these things, but there's also a lot of other stuff too. Mm-hmm. You're interacting with people. Well, I'm on my way from this mission to the next mission, and there's a stagecoach getting robbed. Do yeah. I save the stagecoach? Do I join the bandits and mm-hmm. rob the stagecoach and take a cut? Yeah. Do I rob the stagecoach, kill all the bandits and the people, and take all the money for myself? You know, there's like a million mm-hmm. different choices that you can make there, in addition to the hunting and the yeah. other mm-hmm. things. And th- that's the thing that concerns me. Like Zelda games, the worlds of those Zelda games have never been strongly fleshed out by the interaction with the denizens of those games. Mm-hmm. Um, if you go into a town, if you go into the city in Twilight Princess, the only real purpose to that city is to do the bug collecting side quest. <laughs> That's really kind of like the majority of it. There's a couple things that happen in there, but none of it's really that important. And I don't remember it. Yeah. You know, but I remember transforming into a wolf. I remember going into the other world. I remember, you know, running around in the desert. I remember that last fight scene with Ganon. I remember Midna turning into a beautiful woman and Zelda being shocked by that. There are signature moments in Twilight Princess, but I don't remember anything happening in the city being important. But I can tell you with specificity what the side quests were in Fallout 3. I can tell you very clearly a lot of the side quests in The Witcher. Open world games require, I think, a good open world game fleshes out the culture and lore and mythology of that world by having you do side quests and interacting with the people in that world. If the new Zelda game is going to have those things, in addition to all the hunting and all that stuff, that's fine. But if the open world elements in Zelda games are just finding hearts, mm-hmm. you know, finding ways to max out your heart meter and stuff like that, and yeah. finding ways to increase your arrow capacity, that is going to be a very, very tough sell, mm-hmm. at least on the open world aspect. Um, and that's what I like about Majora's Mask. Majora's Mask takes time to develop its world. You get to know those people, and because you know they only have three days to live mm-hmm. over and over, you feel the tension and you feel kind of some you feel sorry for those people because you know they're all going to die mm-hmm. you know, over and over. <laughs> over and that, over. yeah, that loop that the, with the moon crashing in. And right. the irony is that Link has already died. Oh, I've heard about that. Yeah. That that's the rumor, right? That's yeah. the, well, that's I, as far as I've read, it's the actual canon that Link got lost in the Lost Woods in Ocarina of Time. After Ocarina of Time, mm-hmm. he became lost in the Lost Woods, died, and Majora's Mask is his purgatory before. That sounds like a fan thing. Yeah. Um, my understanding is that that's a popular theory, but I don't know that that's canonical. And anyway, they, actually, there are several It sounds different... like the, the, the fanfic idea that Ed, Ed, and Eddie are them actually being in hell. Yeah. Um... <laughs> Which is a beautiful one when you analyze it. It actually fits I've beautifully. I've never heard that one. Yeah, I, That's I have, crazy. I have heard the, the Link's Purgatory. I've heard that before, but I don't know that that's canon. And anyway, yeah. there are I read, fairly- I read somewhere that it was, but I could have read some fan who really wanted it to be yeah. writing that. Yeah. And, There's a ga- uh, Game Theory. Game Theory is a really good YouTube channel. That's one I will plug because they do some interesting stuff. And um, on Game Theory, they talked about that. They mm-hmm. talked about could, could Link be dead? And it said maybe he's dead. Yeah. Maybe he's not, but there are there are several different continuities in Zelda, and I believe 
a link to the past is the point where they diverge. Mm-hmm. But but Zelda doesn't have one timeline. Right. It's got multiple timelines. Right. Um I believe Majora's Mask was the first direct sequel. Yeah. Like Adventure of Link, I do not believe that it is I don't believe that at the time that it came out that it was a sequel to Legend of Zelda. No, I believe I don't think so. it was like it could have been, but they never specifically stated it. But Majora's Mask is Definitely a sequel to Ocarina of Time. There's not even a question. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think it was the first one. But um, so those, are, those, are, those, I think, are the challenges with uh, Zelda in an open mm-hmm. world. I mean, if they can, if they can, they have to find a way to make the open world engaging. Yeah. Um, and Japanese game developers have not proven that they have the ability to make an open world. Yeah, because again, Nintendo's a bit of a virgin when it comes to this oh. right now, too. So, oh. and that's it. I guess yeah, that's a very good answer. It was actually what an answer was I was not expecting was to go in depth in terms of like side quests ver- that flesh out the world versus that. Yeah. I was actually more also referring to just even in a uh, visual and gameplay style would it be seen as like a Elder Scrolls light. Yeah, that's one of my problems with Elder Scrolls is that I think so much of that world looks so samey when you walk around it. There's not, there doesn't really seem to be a lot of variety to the environments in Elder, in Elder Scrolls. I mean, I haven't, or like seen, say Witcher light or something like uh, that. Oh yeah, well, I'm, Witcher, I was saying more modern day ones. Right. So. Well, Witcher has great variety in its settings. Mm-hmm. I mean, there are swamps in Witcher, there are mountain lands, there are snow-capped peaks, there's lush forests, there's city environments, there's roadside taverns, there's there's um uh outside the city of Novigrad there's like a smaller community a bunch of like there's a village there's dirt roads there's paved roads there's different um societal norms based on where you are there's farmland there's ocean Nice. Uh, and then if you go over to Skellige there's uh it's like a viking area mm-hmm. viking type area um there's all there's all kinds of different environments in The Witcher Three. So, and do you think people would actually? Do you think there would be a lot of people who would actually say it would have played Witcher Three, see the new Zelda, and think that that's just Zelda? That's just Witcher Light. I don't know that. See, the thing is, it's so hard to say. What, True, because we haven't really played the new yeah, Zelda. We don't really know what the open world environments are going to entail. I mean, like people I know, they're all fucking crazy hype about Zelda, but like, settle down. You know, like you don't really know what this game is going to be like. Skyward Sword was not that great. That's what did, I hear. Did either of you play it? Every nope. time I go to boot it up, every time I'm like, you know what, I'm going to start playing Skyward Sword, I get lost in something else. Um, uh, I had a major, major, major fucking problem with Skyward Sword, uh, and it's in the gameplay. Um, when you, uh, It has a run meter, and it's like the worst thing that's ever been in a it's Zelda It's not game. good it's, for Zelda. It's For some games, a stamina meter is perfectly fine, but it's not right for Zelda. Well, the problem is, like, you're running around, and everywhere you need to go, you want, you don't, you want to run there. You don't mm-hmm. want to walk there. You want to run there, and you're limited by this run meter. So when the run meter comes up, it's this little, like, green <laughs> circle with, like, little sections that go. It's like you cut a lime in half, and you, there's the little sections. And I'm like... I'm like halfway through the game and I'm telling my wife, in lieu of Skyward Sword, did they consider the title of The Legend of Zelda guy with a half-eaten lime runs next to his head? Because mm-hmm. that's what this game is. That thing is always on the screen and it's fucking annoying as hell that it's even on the screen. It's just a constant reminder of the nerfed gameplay in the game. And it's like really, really, really frustrating when you play Skyward Sword. So I'm watching the gameplay demos of uh what's it called uh wolf uh, in the fold a link to the 
the new Beasts, one? Of what, what's it called? Oh, the, Bre- the Breath, Breath of the, of the Wild. Wild. Breath, Breath of the, the Wild. Wild. I'm watching the gameplay videos of Breath of the Wild, and uh, I see he runs, and there's a meter. And I'm like instantly like, I don't want to play this game. No, it's I, already I, giving you a bad... It's already well, I was always bad. laughing. You probably... I don't know. When I, when I was watching that live, did you watch uh, the E3 when they were... Uh, reviewing it and stuff like that no i didn't i, mean, I, I was watched... laughing out of it because they're like one of the big things they're showing you know that link has free form jump yeah that he was doing that it's like he has jump and everyone's going yeah i'm like i'm like yeah you caught up with like 1995 yeah. <laughs> yeah it's 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 so true and i think that like e3 is just a bad time to get impressions about anything i actually God of War is a good example because now Sony's debuted the new God of War. And when mm-hmm. they debuted the trailer, everyone was fucking going crazy about it. But, like, me and my nephew talked about it afterwards, and we were like, this new God of War trailer, it's fucking terrible. <laughs> and uh, and here's the conclusion we came to. God of War is a game series that's about an over-the-top angry dude murdering everything in sight because he feels that he's been wronged by the gods and he's going to fuck everything up that he can along the way. At the end of God of War 3, he brings the calamity that not only brings an end to the Greek gods, but wipes the world clean to prepare for the. He murders everybody on the planet. Like, his rage is so all-encompassing that as an unintended consequence of his actions, everybody dies. Mm-hmm. Which, of course, is the dawn of time for the rest of us. Kratos is a guy whose actions have damaging consequences and he's super fucking violent. Also, he has these really cool chain weapons. Mm -hmm. So when you bring Kratos back, you have him in this, they have him in this sort of quiet Nordic setting. He's raising some kid. Mm -hmm. He's trying to be a good parent. He has like a fucking battle axe, which is like one of the most generic weapons you can think of. It's a three quarters over the shoulder view action game. It's got it's got tons of quick time events and the combat is slow. And rather than killing like 30 people around he's him, he's fighting one big he's ass thing. One big ass thing. Mm-hmm. And it's all these cinematic cutscenes, cinematic fight sequences where he's rolling out of the way and mm-hmm. doing quote unquote impressive shit. God of War has always had quick time events to kill the boss, and that's okay. Yeah, never during the fight, usually. Never during yeah. the fight. Right. And it's like we're watching this footage, and we're just like, do you want to play a God of War game where Kratos is a conscientious father? <laughs> I don't want to play a Kratos. I want a celebration. I want a return to violence if I'm going to play Kratos. Right. Kratos was all about fucking killing shit and nailing bitches. Mm-hmm. That was Kratos. Now, it didn't make him a likable character, but I do not believe your protagonist has to be likable. Mm-hmm. Like, I, you know me. I'm a big fan of Conan. Mm-hmm. Robert E. Howard's Conan stories. Robert E. Howard's my favorite author ever. I love Robert E. Howard's Conan stories. But I've told everybody, as much as I love reading about Conan, I would never want to know this guy in real life. <laughs> he's fucking scary. He's violent. He's a survivor. He'll leave you behind and save himself unless he truly values you or you're a nubile woman in need of rescuing. Mm-hmm. Like, I love reading about Conan because he's a survivor. Yeah. 
but I would not want to know this guy in real life. Well, that was one of the things with your, with Kratos. He was avenging the death of his family. Right, which ironically, in the Greek tragic sense, it was his own fault from the start. Mm-hmm. He was deceived into doing it by Ares, but the yep. point is, that's a Greek tragedy. It was his own fault. Yep. And it's like, I, I want violent Kratos. Granted, the formula got a little stale, but now that it's been a while since we've had God of, God of War 3, like... I don't want to play a Kratos who's like, I don't want to play Last of Us, God yeah. of War, The Last of Us. Edition. I was actually kind of thinking about that with Last of Us. I'm like, I hope they're not pulling this. My impression when I saw the trailer was, it's like, okay, there's a kid. Is he going to, after after the scene, is he going to get freaking kidnapped or something? And that's when he goes crazy? Yeah. That's what I was asking. Because well, I'm like, or I, is this kid like the, like you say? And, you know, I, th- I that thought had passed me. I'm like, they're not t- seeing The Last of Us and say, let's do that. No, but yeah. they are But they are doing that. And here's here's another thing I was thinking. I heard it was going to be Norse gods, and it was. I did like, hear that. Well, they're, they're, it's Which I be, would love. Because I love the Norse but mythology. But you know what would be cool? God of, we'll just call it God of War. But instead of playing Kratos, you're now playing someone who's interacting with the Norse gods. So st- Oh, so it's based on Norse mythology that for that character actions and ideas is what right, you're saying. Right, exactly. It's like, more acceptable. Well, Kratos interacting with Greek gods have the new series be some guy interacting with Norse gods in a very similar way. Fight Thor, mm. fight Odin, fight Loki, fight all those characters. Call it God of War and say thematically it's God of War. But it's a different god. But it's a different guy. Yeah. You know, because Kratos, he, well, you don't know if he dies at the end of God of War 3, but it looks like for all intents and purposes he dies. Mm-hmm. It's a very quaint ending. It's like he gets eviscerated and then the world goes crazy and he, he drags himself over a cliff and you think he's dead. But like, I thought that would be cool. Revisit God of War with Norse gods. Mm-hmm. Do something new and different. Have it be thematically the same, but all new setting, all new character, all new weapons. You know, that would have been fucking cool. And you know what? Have Kratos appear in it and have him tell the guy, you know, I, I went down your path. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it, it ended the world. Be, uh, it, it done bad. This is sounding a lot like Metal Gear Solid 2 all over again. <laughs> but, yeah, I, I guess. But, you know, I like Metal Gear Solid 2. I yeah. like it in so many ways. I guess it's funny. I, I can equate the whole conversation to Metal Gear Solid by saying you're, you know, you, you're playing God of War. You want to play the Kratos that you know. You know, it's like I've wanted to play a Solid Snake since Metal Gear Solid. But yeah. in Metal Gear Solid 2, I got Raiden. In Metal yeah. Gear Solid 3, I got Naked Snake. In Metal Gear Solid 4, I got... Arr, 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 arr. <laughs> That's why I was one of the, it was It was very... And then in Metal Gear Solid 5, I got Kiefer Sutherland in a half-finished game, but... <laughs> <laughs> So it was funny that you were mentioning that with uh, that. I actually, I wish it was a more popular magazine because I think it would have gotten more attention. Uh, when uh, Expert Gamer was, EG, when EGM2 became Expert Gamer and then Expert Gamer became Game Now, I actually was, like I said, I did some of the April Fool's ones. I actually did a full page preview for the quote unquote Xbox 360 version of MGS2 where they gave you the option to play a Solid Snake oh, nice. or the game from Solid Snake's perspective and like I had like the sniper view from like from Solid Snake aiming down at uh, oh, cool. Vamp holding what's her face yeah. and then I had the scene where like riding with the chopper and I made this whole scene with like the where I, the, I did like you know the chopper where he's like inside the chopper and you've got the gun and I went to like such detail because I knew Jim Mazurik who's a huge MGS fan and he's the guy I mentioned before who knows all about guns and everything yeah. who taught me about guns and I don't want to know about guns but now I know everything about guns mm-hmm. 
Uh, he, he's like, here, okay, tell me, he's, he's using this type of M4, it's got this type of grenade launcher, here, I got, here, I'll take a picture of mine. <laughs> I'll show you <laughs> mine from under my bed. No. That's pretty much it. He's like, yeah, here, we'll take a picture of this, and I don't know if he had the grenade launcher, if he and Jim had the grenade launcher, or he may have sent me a picture of that, but yeah, then I, like, or I attached one at the bottom of one of the guns there, changed the icon for that, I made, um, oh, what's her name, from the one who smokes a cigarette from, uh... MGS one, sniper wolf? sniper wolf, not sniper wolf. No, no, she's in the in your Camaro. Oh, the, the girl. No, the the the, the uh, Naomi. Not Naomi. Uh, she's the, the this one I believe is Russian. I forget oh, her name. Oh, the, the the Russian. She was like the tech expert. ops woman. She was the Russian nuclear expert. She had a Russian accent, and she told Snake about like stuff that was going on in Russia. How can you not remember this? I do remember. I don't MGS, remember the name. MGS one. Yeah, I forget her you name. You only see her on the codec. Yeah. yeah, you only see her in a code. Yeah. I made her the contact for Snake, uh, and I nice. made like I made an that's, icon for Sarah. That's so. a good April Fool's joke because it's something that people want. Yeah, and that's it, actually what it's I've legitimate. Noticed. It's not over the top bullshit. It's like yes. it's something that they could have done. Yeah. Yep, it's just possible for that. Well, that's one They'll of the things I always said when I did EGM two. When I when I was doing the April Fool's jokes uh, for EGM two, I always said I want to do one. It's my opportunity to get to do fan. What a fan wants. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's that's your one time to express what a fan. So because mm. the other ones we did was even though I wasn't a big fan of it, uh, EGM wanted to do it was um the uh, all bonds code in N sixty four for Golden Eye. Oh yeah. So they did that one. I originally actually didn't want to do that one, but I did the Photoshop work for because they wanted. I didn't realize how popular that was going to be. They actually uncovered it. It was so popular that it actually uncovered um. Uh, somebody with a Game Shark actually found the face files for oh the four bonds actually in the game. Like they actually at one point were trying to do that. So my favorite one that I did though was um, Akuma in Resident Evil Two. Uh, oh, that was you. That was me. Nice. That was I my. I remember idea. the screen. I was like, oh, this would be so cool, but this can't be real. <laughs> yes, it's funny how that became such an institution with uh, EGM. Just mm-hmm. like every, it was all went back to Martin. With that app copy and paste error, doing the uh, was it an error? Uh, it was kind of not an error, so to speak. But he was he was he was doing a map of something like that, and he cut. I believe he cut out Simon Belmont yeah. from something from there, and he just put a selection around there, and he cut it. And then he was doing something else later with like Ninja Turtles, and he was doing there with something else on the screen. And he, hit paste. and he hit paste, and the Simon Belmont was still in the thing there. He's like, oh my god. And that's where they, they ran from there, and then they ran that picture. So that was a mistake. I never knew that. It, originally, it was, it was a serendipitous mistake that happened that way. So, wow. And then became this massive institution, which then became this big thing. Yeah. It's, it's unbelievable. During April Fool's. In fact, yeah, just uh, right, right behind where we're sitting, April 1992, I believe this is the one, right? Mm-hmm. Oh, yes. Yeah. Indeed it is. So. Uh, to fight Shang Long, the mysterious Street Fighter legend, you must use Ryu throughout your entire game. You must not get hit from the moment you begin until the final round with M. Bison. Once there, you must spar with M. Bison without hitting each other for 10 rounds. The 10th round is the final round, and after the last draw game, <laughs> Sheng Long appears and tosses M. Bison away. Now the timer's stuck at 99, so you're forced into a fight to the death. Sheng Long's powers are immense. His Hyper Dragon Punch is backed by his flaming fist. He throws fi- red fireballs faster than Sagat, and he has a spin kick deadlier than Chun Li's. He does not pause for a second and can attack immediately after throwing a fireball. Sheng Long can even grab Ryu out of the air and throw him to the turf. 
We did not last too long against him as his blows cause mega damage, but we can we guess he can do all the special attacks of each world warrior. We cannot wait to see what is next. <laughs> and I, I wonder if there was anybody ever good enough to get there. Do you remember sure. the uh, controversial decision to put the EGM April Fool's contest blurb right underneath the trick? There was a huge argument about that when it was going on because I think it was Ed had decided, let's make this into a contest where they find the April Fool's joke in the magazine and we'll put that right underneath it so they won't suspect. Mm-hmm. And like I think Martin and Ken thought that was like a terrible idea. Why are you you're putting it right under Trying the... Trying to do a double bluff. Yeah, mm-hmm. but they're like, no, that's like a really dumb idea. Oh, let's not forget who came up with this code. Who came up with it? W.A. Stokens? Oh, yeah, W.A. Stokens, exactly right. From Fooled Again, huh? Yeah. <laughs> On a side note, uh, also, um, I, I forgot that's one of the April Fool's done. I did the second generation for Street Fighter 3. Which one was that? The Photoshop, the Shenlong for Street Fighter 3. That's right. I did the Photoshop work for that one. There was one. something, there was like a thing, yeah, that you were known. Was it that? No, it was, uh, was it Battletoads Double Dragon? No, that was Martin, right? Battletoads, Battletoads Double Dragon's a real game. Yeah, yeah, but <laughs> Martin made it up, right? No. He I'm did. The firm. Yeah, like he, like did he? he? Yeah, I think that Martin did the... Was there an April Fool's-ish type thing that not, he did? Well, it wasn't an April Fool's. I think it was just like a, a goofy, like, look at this. Or Sonic running down the hill in Strider. Mm-hmm. He, like, he, he had done like a, a number of them. And then like Battletoads, Double Dragon became a real game because of one of these... Oh, I didn't know that, actually. That he did, yeah. Okay. I thought, I, I'm pretty, I, I thought it was either you or Martin. But you're it wasn't known, me. I didn't you're do known for one else. of them. Something huge came out of something that you did. Well, Shen Long was the the, 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 uh, the uh, SF3 Shen Long. Yeah. Actually okay. became a major character. That's it. Okay. So yeah, the, the big version, the... the yeah. The big... For, from, and, and, and Street Fighter Four. yeah. yeah. He actually had the movesets. Did you know that? <laughs> that he... Came up with that character. Yeah, I didn't even think about that when I was like, was, yeah, because I did the artwork. Did they? Yeah. Then the, like when I when they said that you know that that basically like that Go Kid was in there. So I'm like, okay, let me see. They said it's based on Street Fighter Four. Let me see. I'm like, he's doing the double fireball move that I had in there. So yeah. although his does it up at an angle, mine does it as a second one going forward but higher. Yeah. And you know, and he had like the dual gi in there. I'm like, oh my god, yeah. he totally did. So once again. You know, the, uh, another the, one that uh, credit to do, I believe it was Andrew Burwell uh, did the um, for EGM did the artwork for Sonic and Smash Brothers. Oh, okay. that wasn't at that, that time. That didn't exist. So that, that became a thing. That then, became yeah. a thing, too. Yeah. So unbelievable. I was actually doing the Metal Gear one at the time. Otherwise, I would have done EGM. But it like it, you know, it, it makes you think like if you hadn't done that page in the mag, there wouldn't be. That character. Exactly. You know, if Ken hadn't done that page in April 92, there wouldn't be Akuma. Mm-hmm. You know, it's just... It's, yeah, and it's it's inarguable because of how Akuma so... How much he copies what was done in that article. And what if that guy that sat next to Ken didn't suggest that he put a flame on the fist of the yeah, dragon I forget about that guy. That guy's kind of forgettable anyways. That's yeah, just a minor he, detail. Yeah, he didn't. That was Ray, by the way, everybody. <laughs> <laughs> but if that guy... Oh, you already gave it away. <laughs> hadn't made that suggestion, maybe Ken wouldn't have a flaming dragon punch. So you know, just have a normal dragon punch. To, it'd be totally boring. Yeah. To this day, I maintain that I... You created the flaming dragon punch. It, but, but I didn't create a character. Well, I'm going to tell Ken you... Ken created a character, and you created a well, character. Well, I post... That's I, impressive. I threw this one out to Ken... Uh, a while ago, 
I actually should have to really watch this to confirm it. But when we saw it, when we watched Wreck-It Ralph, maybe you guys have seen it, but I didn't. Uh, apparently, in the in the walls, in um, Shen Long was here. Shen Long was here. Yes, it's there. And so I like I commented to Ken. It's like, congratulations, Ken. You influenced the produ- a production decision <laughs> in a Walt Disney movie. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's true. He's like, yep. Yeah, apparently now with the sequel, they're not doing um, video games. They're doing... Internet. Internet, yeah. yeah. Did that- you look at some of those logos on there? Yeah. I died laughing with Lube Hub. <laughs> like, wow. <laughs> wow. <laughs> apparently, Disney's reasoning for it is because it was very complicated and expensive to get all those video games. So they're not going to have the licenses? They're not. They're not going to do video games in the second That's one. the fun. Well, yeah, but they apparently don't want to do that. They apparently want. They want to. They, they said it was just too complicated. Think about it. How what they pulled off with Wreck It Ralph. How hard it is to do that sort of thing. Yeah. Um, think about Who Framed Roger Rabbit. Oh, that was, I was just thinking about that. That was always the video game version of Who Framed Roger Rabbit. You're equivalent. never. You're never going to see that again. No. So sad. There's too much money now. It's not about creating something interesting. It's just money. Seeing Bugs Bunny and Mickey Mouse on the same screen, yeah, never going to see it again. It's insane. Daffy Duck and Donald on the same screen. Yeah. Yeah. It's never going to happen. Um, all those characters, all those video game characters, this Disney was Disney's probably like, you know what? It's just they said it's like too it's too complicated. Yeah, it's too costly, and too many too many people have a say in what's happening. So yeah. Mm-hmm. Anyway. You know, it's rather interesting on uh, speaking of Wreck It Ralph, uh, we were talking with the creator of Qbert, who right. was over at uh, you know, it was a Terry's basement bash and stuff like that. It was actually just it was at the year that Wreck It Ralph came out. He was actually enjoying the fact that Qbert was in there, but also the fact that he was always like this out of work kind of guy. Yeah. As he said, actually that kind of mirrored some of the things that happened yeah. at that company. You should explain what the uh, what the basement bash is and how oh. you came to meet uh, Jeff Lee there. Yes. Well, the basement bash, uh, Terry Minnick does that trick man, Terry. Uh, he does these things. He was doing all this annual thing, just his basement bash. He has a, a, like a basement full of arcades mm-hmm. and he just, you know, it's like bring here, bring some food. We get together a bunch of EGM guys plus people on his, I think it was, uh, was he doing VGVEO or VG something like Evo, that? Yeah. Yeah, VG Evo and stuff like that. And, you know, they all got together and just had a lot of fun. Well, like one year he actually got, yeah. What's his name again? I'm Jeff Lee. Names. Jeff Lee. Yeah, he like showed up. Like, oh my God, creator of Qbert. Yeah, yeah, he has uh, a lot of the a lot of those guys. Are, um, 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 shoot, what's his name? Uh, it's the striped shirt, um, fella. The uh, he's parod- umpire? He no, no, he's parodied in Wreck It Ralph. Twin Galaxies guy. Yeah, the Twin oh, Galaxies. Oh yes, mm-hmm. oh, yeah, he he's showed up to him and. Oh yeah, yeah that's right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so he's gotten some. I was impressed over at uh, Pixel Blast Arcade. That's the arcade that Trick Terry owns, uh, Trick Terry and Paul Ojeda, yeah. a.k.a. Heavy, own. Which is actually how this all kind of happened. That is true, we, yeah, because I ran went, into you there. We went to the opening of the arcade, and I ran into Vallis there, and we got it hurt. talking about the, yeah, right. We, yeah, it well, it was more hurt for you that people just kind of bounce <laughs> off me. <laughs> yeah. But uh, yeah, that's how this all uh, ended up uh, shaking out. We had some ideas for some guests, and they were, you know, time constraints and things weren't happening, and it just worked out really well that we got together. And uh, we hadn't gotten together in a long time, and uh, you know, we I just uh, I had uh, I guess forgotten how cool Vallis is 
and uh, was like, you know, we should hang out more. And uh, you now, know, we, look, look, uh, look down below. The comments aren't saying that. But they're the, like, what the hell are you doing with this yeah, guy? Who is this? Yeah, this uh, <laughs> Never have him on again. <laughs> what are but, you uh, thinking? Yeah, but but uh, he uh, expressed a lot of uh, enthusiasm. He hadn't even heard our podcast, but was, no, I hadn't. was was very enthusiastic about it nonetheless and wanted to come on board. So, and yeah, like I, I said, thought, I actually you were like, oh, you should listen to my podcast. I'm like, okay, I haven't actually listened. There's a lot of people from the old magazine that have done a various podcasts, and I haven't listened to them, and I feel really bad about that. But it was kind of like it was one of those things. Like, yeah, oh, Trick Man, Trick Man told us he had a podcast, and I was like, bro, yeah, same here. I'm, uh, you know, oh, like, my, you know, Phil Theobald, he has a podcast that he does with uh, Chris Johnson. You have no, you know, probably a Secret Turtle. Phil That's how Theobald, we always know him. huh? I know Phil. Yeah, Phil Theobald. Oh, he, uh, he, he lived, he lived in the Joliet area, I believe, for a long time. I don't know where he is now, but he's in California. He's a teacher. Really? Yep. He actually does a couple of things. He does that. Uh, he, he actually does these, uh, the podcast with CJ. I know he does that. Um, he also does this odd little podcast, which is kind of fun. It's a weird one with his son. It's it's basically like an unboxing video with for toys with his uh, son. Oh, so. cool! But he's yeah, he's a teacher for like grade school, so yeah. still a big gamer. So. I, I liked Phil. He, I mean, I didn't know him very well, but you know, I met him on a number of occasions. I think I met him when he was working at a Babbage's in the Lewis Joliet mm-hmm. Mall. And, I think that's actually how I first met uh, him too. But then eventually he joined up with us, and he was on. Uh, 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 expert gamer eventually would turn into game now. So, yeah. and I really got to know him. though. we were having like a blast. Like, I actually missed that guy. I'm hoping one day the, he and his wife moved back here. Mm-hmm. So he's yeah. a good guy. Um, so I forget where I was going with this. Something about CJ. Uh, we were talking basement. We were talking bash. the basement bash and talking about oh, the creator Qbert showed up. Yep, so. creator of Qbert. So, yeah. and, and then he was also at the arcade. He was also there, okay, along with the creator of Rampage, which excited me, yeah. which I never knew. I didn't know it was actually an American who did that. And then, uh, really, we... it's a Midway game. How could you not know that? <laughs> yeah, we got to watch. I thought uh... it was Data East stuff this whole time. <laughs> we got to watch uh, Tim McVeigh set a high score on Nibbler too. And, oh, I didn't and, see that and actually, and, mm-hmm. uh, and break the uh, break the. Um... The, li- the, the number of lives, okay. the number of lives goes from uh, 98, 99, and then FF, F0, and F. Nice. You know, it just, you know, you can't, like, count the lives anymore. Kind of like uh, when Mario does the one-up thing. To, yeah, exactly. And, he, and he, uh, his goal was just to get uh, 10 million. And it's just amazing to watch him. I don't know if you're familiar with Nibbler, but it's basically like you're this snake eating dots. And the trick is to be able to eat all the dots on the screen. And as you eat dots, the snake gets longer. It, so you have to yeah. find the proper path to not I run into yourself. I played it on the Commodore. Okay. I think I, pl- I don't think it was called Nibbler, but it, I played a version. It, I, I know the game. Yeah. Commodore C64 and all the knockoffs, like Russian Attack. And yeah. stuff like that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah, I loved. I loved. Oh no, C64. Green Beret was what the Green Beret was. I loved yeah. the C sixty four version of Russian Attack. I thought it was fantastic. It was great. That was actually the one I played before I actually knew yep. it as Russian Attack. I knew it well, as Russian Attack, but when I played, when I played Green Beret, I was like, oh, this is Russian Attack. Interestingly mm-hmm. enough, um, Russian Attack came out um, on the NES, but it also came out on the Famicom Disk System. And on the Famicom Disk System, it was called Green Beret. And the only difference between the uh, the Green Beret and Russian Attack was in Russian Attack, there would be those yellow guys you would get, and then they would give you the triple, you'd get the three um, rocket launchers. Mm-hmm. Uh, in Green Beret, they'd only give you one rocket launcher, but there were more of them around. Mm-hmm. So you would keep getting them. You could get more than three because each time you killed one, it just kept stocking up, up to nine. So you could have up to nine rocket launchers. That was the one difference. 
is how you got the special weapons. But then the other difference is in the uh, odd-numbered levels, there are secret paths. When you blow up some of the landmines that are on the ground and it'll open up a ladder, you go underground, it's a different part of the level with different background music and everything that's not in the NES version. Wow. So it's kind of okay. interesting. And, and I'm kind of glad that you brought up um, uh, Green Beret because I was when I was listening to your podcast and you were asking, what's your favorite, uh, what was the one, that, the, the, the music in a video game that made you define as the one, the first one that you would want to record? And I was saying to myself, Bloody Wolf from Turbo Graphics, oh. the boss music from there. But now that you mentioned Green Beret, no, C64 music for Green Beret. That was actually a damn good soundtrack. Wow. And I'll remember that one fondly, probably more than Bloody Wolf. I'll have to look for that. C64 mm-hmm. had the greatest video game I've ever played in my life, uh, Mario's Brewery. <laughs> what? It's uh, Donkey Kong with zero frames of animation. Yeah. <laughs> it's pretty bad. It's, it's basically Mario, whenever he's running, he's in one pose. Mm-hmm. So he just slides across the screen in the, like striding <laughs> pose. And when he climbs up the Picture ladder. Picture the Gumby version of him doing that. And when he climbs up the ladder, it's the same frame. <laughs> it was really bad. It was Mario's, Mario's Brewery. Brewery yeah. Yep. Yeah. But not, not quite as offensive as Princess Di's Baby, where you have to deliver a very pregnant Princess Diana to the hospital. And um, cars are shooting syringes at you while you're <laughs> trying to get. Dude, man, I, I, this is too crazy for me to make up. It's not April 1st, so. And this is not the April issue. Yeah, C sixty four had a lot of like insane bootlegs. Danyan had like uh, like a, like four hundred discs, four hundred. Uh, I had five, a shit five and a quarter discs floppies. I and... I want to find a good Commodore sixty four emulator that is not a pain in the ass to run. Yeah. Mm-hmm. As much as I as much as I find the load asterisk comma eight comma one charming, <laughs> I just want to be able to pick a game from a list and boot it. Go. I mean, yeah. Yeah. It's... On a side note, is I don't know if I should be like telling this story, but there were actually two um, guys who worked at EG. I really don't know if I should be saying their names because this is talking about bootleg stuff like that. They actually met uh, before they went in EGM. Uh, they actually met because their parents were running competing bootleg uh, C64 software stuff. <laughs> and not like BBSs or what? Not like BBSs back then and oh stuff like God. that. Yes. <laughs> they were running competing ones. They actually kind of met. Somehow they got they, they got to talking and then they met that way. So he is literally the ultimate nerd. The spawn of nerds. Yes. To create the ultimate <laughs> nerd, whoever this person may be. Mm-hmm. There's a fuck ton of great Commodore 64 games, though. Oh, yeah. God. Yeah, if, yes. Daniel, if Daniel were here, he could rattle off. Oh, I could rattle off probably yeah. there. So, I mean, that was, was Raid Over Bungling Bay. Oh, Bungling that Bay was, was one. awesome. Uh, right over Moscow. Yep. Uh, I remember Choplifter, but Chop. it wasn't it wasn't exclusive to C sixty four. I believe it was an yep. I was it was an IBM game first. Mm-hmm. Uh, Danian had the Archon. Uh, Archon was a oh, the first two Archons that. were great. Uh, Standing Stones was a little known RPG where you there's a dungeon beneath Stonehenge. Mm-hmm. Very wizardry ish. One of my it was favorites. a weird one, Realm of Impossibility. That was always a weird one. One of my Impossible favorites to play mission? at Danian's house was uh, Stay a while, stay forever. You would that. love talking to uh, Terry Minnick. He's a huge C64 fan as well. Yeah, I remember going to his house and playing. Uh, it wasn't C64. Uh, uh, he had Amiga though. Mm-hmm. Uh, playing R Type on Amiga. <laughs> Really? With, uh, yeah, Chris Hulsbeck soundtrack. Oh man, I had an Amiga as well. Oh, Shadow of the Beast was all that. Yeah, which uh, reminds me, I want to, ch- I want to, I have, I'm kind of scared because I haven't heard anything about the new Shadow of the Beast. Mm. That always scares me. <laughs> if nobody's saying anything about it being released, yeah, so. yeah. I, I was all excited when I heard that, but it's like, oh, 
are they going to do the justice? But anyways, that's a whole other thing. Yeah. Uh, we're Cow- Cat too. Oh, I was actually going to say, I remember one of my C64 things I remember is getting a disc. I think it was from uh, my buddy. They got all different had the games. They had like Raider Moscow, Bart's Tale. Uh, Can't all, remember all that three, one. All three Bard's Tales actually yep. were fucking fantastic games. So uh, eventually you know it leads to Ultima. But yeah. I was going to say just a, just a quick denim. I remember like learning how to actually like get to the um, the directory of the disc and being all clever there. I'm like, wait a minute, there's a fifth game in here. Well, That's like not on the normal one there. And I tried, and it ended up being this thing called the Farmer's Daughter, which you can. Oh, you know, it's pretty much what you imagine. Totally like a Zork style text based game. Yep, I remember. Total form. Oh my god. <laughs> It's a, it's yeah, it's a total yeah. You know, well, I remember you just blew my mind before we started talking about the uh, like you're talking about weird little hidden things like that. Uh, tell Tom about when you play uh, Dracula X. Oh, that scene. Okay, a lot of people don't well, know which, about that. Which one. Dracula? Are you talking about Rondo of Blood oh, on Rondo, the PlayStation origi- on the on the original PC Engine? Okay, so Rondo of Blood on PC Engine. Okay, great. PC okay. Engine there. So, uh, as you know, it's for Super CD. Mm-hmm. Uh, which, which I believe is the step up, the, the first 3.0, step up. The 3.0 The card. 3.0 one there. So when you play Redondo Blood, you have the, the there. If you have an original and you use the original card, um, normally if you do if you play a Super CD game on a normal CD system, it'll just come up with a, a blank screen with what says text on there. You know, you can't do this. You know, please swap in there. Castlevania, again, little stupid things that they do. If you pl- if you do that with Redondo of Blood, it would actually cut to this like cutesy music with this looks like almost like a Sonic the Hedgehog type level with a little goofy Richter, Chibi Richter, done like like as with like weird little geometric things, and he would run and you have like a little cheap whip animation. It would be like you would run past there were like five or six enemies you would kill, and it would eventually get to a scene where it's written up. You have to play the Super CD ROM version in order to play this game. Huh. But they actually put it like a little, this little cute level. That's pretty fucking cool. Mm -hmm. Never knew that. Speaking of, uh, that was something else I wanted to say about Castlevania very quick since we're on the subject of Rondo. Um, QTEs to finish off bosses. Is it Rondo of Blood or Redondo? It's it's Rondo Rondo of Blood. Dracula X Rondo of Blood. Um, which was released for PSP as Castlevania Dracula X Chronicles. Which is phenomenal. I was just just telling you that before Tom got here. Great version of that game. But. I, what I love about Rondo's bosses, when they die, they do something. Yeah. And you have to be smart enough to avoid it. To avoid it, it mm-hmm. if you're low I on think, hit points, especially. I think that is a better way to end a boss fight than with a stupid QTE sequence. <laughs> because it relies on the mechanics of the gameplay itself for you to finish the level in a dramatic fashion. Mm-hmm. Um, I just I love that. I love like when you kill the wolfman, like he does one last comet charge. Yep. yep. And you and just the, have to be careful to avoid yeah, it. Yeah, the dragon pops up out of the water. Mm. And yeah. <sighs> I think that is a very clever way to heighten the tension at the end of a boss fight. Especially if you're low on hit points. Yeah. You're like, oh, shit. Yep. I don't know why, but I'm reminded of Splatterhouse and the Chandelier. <laughs> yeah. Um, yep. The other great thing about Dracula X Chronicles is that uh, Symphony of the Night's unlockable. Yep. And the original Rondo of Blood is unlockable. And so, I believe that's the only... English translation of Rondo, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, well, except the bootleg that I... Well, well I'm talking about official English Right, the official, but yeah, mm-hmm. somebody took all of the PSP audio and dumped it on the TurboGrafx discs so you can play the TurboGrafx version 
dubbed. That's pretty cool. Yeah. But also symphony, you can play in English. I believe you can play the, you can play all a those new dub. in English. In English or in Japanese. And if it's in English, it's a brand new dub. Yeah. Which is another fascinating thing. Really? About, yeah. It's a yeah. brand new dub. It's, it doesn't have the, uh, what is a man but a miserable <laughs> pile, pile of secrets. secrets. But you know what? <laughs> I love I love parts of that dub. As bad as they are, I love parts of it. Um, That's like saying you like dub Dragon Ball. No, it's, <laughs> just, it's just stupid. No, it's not. It's not. It's not. It's not that offensive. <laughs> no, it's not that offensive, Ray. <laughs> oh boy. Um, Join the club. <laughs> oh, uh, yeah. I'm not saying I. Pref- I'm not saying I prefer to the Japanese. I'll always play mm-hmm. that game in Japanese. But like that original, that original PlayStation dub. As as cheesy as it is, I I love how the dialogue meant of it. Yeah. The words meant behind it is what well, you're saying. I, mean, I don't know. Sometimes I just celebrate something for its B level quality. Sometimes, well, you I know, just... it's funny that you said that. I remember when uh, Resident Evil Two was announced, and uh, there was actually is like the budding era of like the internet was like really just everything was there. Dot coms, people were learning to go beyond BBSs and web crawls and mm-hmm. stuff like that. And uh, somebody tried to put out a petition saying, save Resident Evil 2 from good voice acting. <laughs> yeah. Well, they, it worked. Uh, Why did he bite me? <laughs> God's a maniac. Why did he bite me? <laughs> I remember you, even like, like, the, like the new generation of uh, players, uh, Crispin loved saying that at EGM. Crispin Boyer is always going, he's a maniac. Why did he bite me? Why did he bite me? <laughs> hey, babe. The guy, no. the guy in the gun shop, the guy in the, the oh, sorry, babe. Oh, sorry, babe. Well, I, I was still thinking but, about Resident Evil One, the uh, the Barry Jill exchange. Just oh my really God. awkward. You're like the a, master of unlucking. No, <laughs> wait, wait. are you thinking Resident Gigolo here? No, no, no. The uh, uh, well, there was the uh, the awesome Gilbert Gottfried dub. You remember oh, right, that? right, right, right. Where Gilbert Gottfried did a bunch of they took they they had a bunch of random video game clips. And then had Gilbert Gottfried come in and like dub a bunch of voices. Really? Over. Yeah. So it was uh, the clip from Resident Evil. You are almost a Jill sandwich. Oh. <laughs> um, and then they did, uh, of course, they uh, did Ocarina of Time when Navi comes out. Hey, listen. <laughs> oh my God, that would make it perfect. I would want, I would want a ROM hack of that of just Gilbert Gottfried is the voice of Navi. The best one was uh, there's I mean a whole bunch hey, of them. Listen. There's like hey, bre- listen. there's like 10 to 12 different games that he, he does. He did a Metal Gear one, didn't he? Yeah. Um oh. but one of the best ones in the group was uh it's some old PC game where at the beginning of the game they had the sound blaster test to make sure it works okay. So it's that screen mm-hmm. that pops up. And, it, and then Gilbert Godfrey, your sound card is working perfectly. <laughs> <laughs> What's the line from Resident Evil that always makes me laugh? Well, there's a ton of them, but... Uh, uh, <laughs> Narrow here, down, please. Here, take this. What is it? It's a weapon. <laughs> it's really powerful, especially against living things. <laughs> Well, I just remember uh, one of the worst. Uh, you, I, we were talking about Mega Man Eight briefly, and I just oh, remember well, well, Doctor Doctor Light like stumbling over his words, stumbling over the words, and then you can actually hear the <laughs> really the, the script page turn. Oh, oh Mega Man Eight's got to be like up there with the worst dubs of all time. Yeah, it's 
it's pretty Doc, awful. Was oh, that the one where he's got the, the bit of a width for something Dr. like Wally. that? Dr. Wowie! Yeah! There is a fella online, I just read about this, there is a fellow online working on an undub for, uh, an for, undub. Mega, for Mega Man 8. So I'm very much looking forward to it. He wants to do an undub of all of the PlayStation Mega Man uh, 8, X4, X5. He wants to I should contact him, try to see if, I can, if he needs an extra voice actor to jump in for that. Yeah, so. would, really? Uh, I, hmm, I've never played any of the... I have all of the PlayStation. I have Mega Man 1 through 8 on the Mega Man collection for GameCube. Yeah. I have the Mega Man Legacy collection for PS4, which has Mega Man 1 through 6. I don't know why they didn't include 7 and 8 on there. Yeah. I don't know why. I don't know why they just didn't put all fucking 10 of them on there. Who yeah, really? fucking cares at this point? <laughs> um, and I have the Mega Man X collection, yeah. which I think is Mega Man what X 1 through 6. Mm-hmm. I have that for PlayStation. And then I have Mega Man X7, Mega Man X8. I'm making it. I'm going to admit something here that will probably shock you. I've never played an X game. Yeah. Wow. Not even the first one. <laughs> yeah. But I've played the Mega first Man one. X is pretty fantastic. I, yeah. really I should show you the video from that guy who did uh, the Awesome series. He really made a really compelling argument as to how game design was back then versus how it is today. Yeah. So, yeah. But I've also... And he used X as an example. I've never played nine or Mega Man 9 or 10 either, but I've played all eight. I've played the first eight Mega Mans. Mm-hmm. So, uh, but... All uh, I got to say is, fuck... Hate those, hate those goddamn platforms. <laughs> those disappearing, reappearing. Oh yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. <sighs> so frustrating. So almost as frustrating as Medusa heads flying into your face in Castlevania. For some reason, I've never had a problem with those. My wife says the same thing. She's like, "How are you always able to hit those Medusa heads so perfectly?" I'm like, I don't know. I have my problems with other games and other things, yeah. but the, for some reason, Medusa. You're head, the master of the Medusa head. I don't know why. Yeah, I'm I'm good at that for some uh, reason. When, death Death is always the boss that gets a lot of people. If you don't have the three times boomerang, the oh, fight you're is done. Really yeah. tough. You're done. Yeah. A fight is very very hard. It's kind of like Gradius, you know. They, they uh, it's called the Gradius problem. Like when you get real far in Gradius, and then poof, and then you're back to pew 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 pew. Yes. <laughs> Shut it off. Exactly. You're done Pretty much playing. done. Yeah, lost my options. Lost yeah. my lasers. So you get to gone. death with the three boomerangs, and you either win or shut off the game. game. Over. <laughs> and then level seven is just that gauntlet of the big bats, and it's oh, very difficult level. <laughs> that game's rough. Even now, I can still finish it most of the time now, but it's it's not easy, man. I always make uh, uh, Tim Davis. I mentioned him before. I always made him laugh because every time it's like he, he would always you know play that one, and I would just always love Simon Belmont's voice in there. Where he goes whoop. Yeah, whoop, when he gets a kit. <laughs> whoop. And then uh, um, in Castlevania Three, they had uh, uh, the other characters. Grant and Sci-Fi Grant and, and Sci- Alucard. Yeah, who were all just variations. Whoop. <laughs> <laughs> you know, same thing. So, uh, I guess the last thing I want to touch upon, and this is, I wanted to, I wanted to save it for last just because I had been broaching a couple of subjects that were primarily predominantly of interest to me mm-hmm. seeing what you guys thought of them so then i wanted to get back into some stuff that we all bring up and uh, mm-hmm. you know big berserk fan of course and the new anime started and uh, it's a very divisive show for a lot of people mm. there it's very heavy on cgi oh okay. and there are people that don't like that um i wanted to take a, just a few minutes to talk about it um, it picks up after the events of the sacrifice and the eclipse. Mm-hmm. So we finally get to see animated what happens after that. I mean, I read the manga, so I've known for a long time yeah. what Guts does afterwards. Of course, the manga's still going in Japan. People, Game of Thrones fans who complain that the book series isn't done yet, well, you know, 
Berserk's been running like eight years longer, and it's still not over, and it's still the same narrative, so suck it up. Yep. Uh, but the show is very heavy on CGI, but what they do... As is, long as it's blended okay, it's not the bigger problem. Well, here, here's what I have to say about that. Berserk could have gone one of two ways. It could have either been a show produced with the same basic production values as most of what's coming out on TV right now. Mm -hmm. It wouldn't have looked any different. There would have been nothing visually distinct about it. Um, It would have had the same budget, the same production values as everything else out there. But the people who want hand-drawn anime would have gotten a bunch of hand-drawn anime, and maybe that would have made them happy. I feel that what Berserk has done here is forged its own unique visual identity. It's heavy reliance on CGI. What they do is they texture the CGI so that his armor has got metal scoring on it. His armor looks like he's wearing metal. And it has like a metal texture when you're looking at it. The the Dragon Slayer has a metal texture to it. Um, There's a lot of shading and cross-hatching going on with the flesh tones, giving it an almost printed page come to life look yeah now the jarring thing about it is because it's cgi and you can tell it's cgi the criticism that people have is all it's like you know it looks like ps2 or ps3 era graphics like cell shade Mm -hmm. like sort of like cell shade yeah but what i here's the thing i have to say about that whenever you're playing a video game and it goes to a cgi cutscene. You're always people are always like, wow, that's really cool. It's a CGI cutscene. Look at all the realistic animation. People who have played Final Fantasy Tactics War of the Lions, the cutscenes during War of the Lions, it's like a pencil art, but you can tell it's pencil art over CGI. Yeah, right. It's still a really cool look, but people don't complain about that. This is the same principle in reverse. It's when you're playing a video game, like if you're playing a video game and you go to an anime cutscene, why is that okay? But if you're watching an anime and it looks like a video game, why is that a problem? <laughs> why, do you, why do you see that as a problem? I don't get it. Does it look good? Does it look interesting? Does it carry the story? I think people are so fixated on the visual medium of anime as having to be a certain thing that they're not willing to accept anything else Mm -hmm. in my opinion what i like about the new visual look for berserk and at some point we'll watch it yeah um what i like about the new visual look for berserk is that it has its own unique identity Mm -hmm. it looks like something completely different from everything else that's on tv right now right and i would rather berserk be that than just look like in a a class with anime now right Right. In a class with the anime of today. Right. I would rather have it look distinct and different and, and visually unique from everything else than have it just fit in and be another anime show. Because anime production values right now, they're not that great. If you watch an anime fight scene now, they're very unless it's something like Dragon Ball, they're very poorly animated. Yeah. There's a lot of frames missing. There's a lot of exaggerated um, physical characteristics. A lot of really d- hyperdynamic perspectives. It doesn't but lo- but you know what? Good news. It'll all be fixed in the Blu-ray release, so don't worry about it. <laughs> Is that from something? That's uh, that's from the real world. That's just what happens. They animate shitty, and then they correct it for the Blu-ray. 
And I don't see how that's cost effective. I don't really see the point of that. But Dragon Ball Super has done it. Uh, the the new Sailor Moon, Sailor Moon Crystal, or whatever, has done it. Um, really? Yeah, a lot of lot of that's like a thing, right? Yeah, it is a thing. It's not though. like a video game where you can buy it and then you just patch it later. It doesn't work like that. I, uh, apparently, it, it is. Like, well, apparently, it is that it way. It's, it's strange. Like, it sounds to me like to meet the to meet the. Um, the production the broadcast schedule, schedule yeah. they get it out, and then later on in post production they go and clean it up because anime is very reliant on CGI now, so yeah. they can do that. Yeah. Uh, but Berserk has a very gritty texture to it. Yeah. It looks very different from everything I've ever seen before, and I appreciate that. Even about Berserk, it. huh? Even Berserk looks different than the original Berserk. Oh, it's completely different from the original Berserk. Mm. Completely different. Um, the CGI is noticeable, but what I and what I the frame rate is really messed up. It's not a great frame rate for CGI, which is mm. weird. Yeah, but the typical anime is uh, what fifteen? Is it fifteen? I don't know. I don't know. I have looked that up. What I what I what I the thing I really most appreciate about the 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 visual style of it is that on the printed page, the action in Berserk can sometimes be very difficult to understand. It can be very difficult to follow. Yeah. And what you can do with a 3D camera for the fight scenes oh, sure. mm-hmm. helps you understand the transitional action, the, the sword swings, how Guts is moving, what direction he's going in, when he's firing his crossbow, like where he's running or how he's shooting, how he's moving his armor. These things can sometimes be difficult to grasp on the printed page because of how Miura lays it all out. Yeah. So with a 3D camera, you can position that camera in different places. You can rotate it in different ways. When he's fighting, I think the animation is really nice and smooth and you get a really proper sense of the dynamics and this is all the more enhanced by not only the visuals, but the sound quality is fucking unbelievable on this show. Yeah. The sound effects are unlike anything I've ever heard before. When Guts is swinging the Dragon Slayer, you know, normally when you watch an anime and swords swing, you know what you hear? You hear, you hear like slashing sounds and blood <laughs> flying everywhere. In Berserk, when he swings the Dragon Slayer and he hits something that's metal or solid, it's a clang. Mm-hmm. You hear these loud metallic clangs because the Dragon Slayer is just big heavy weapon when he hits people when he's chopping through people with with that are wearing armor you don't hear the slicing of flesh you hear the sound of metal splitting like metal huh? like, no it's just like or... it's just like clang clang it's like clanging because he's just slicing through metal and i love that it's just such a unique audio design right. it's such a unique audio bed for it and the soundtrack is just fucking off the off the charts man it's this really aggressive sort of techno metal remix mm. they take a lot of the music from the movie trilogy and they do this metal techno remix of it and so it's it, familiar music it's yes yeah that's cool and that that i love that i love when they use familiar music because once you've established whoever the tones, is doing the music cares about, about the original which, yeah right right and um so you're hearing the songs from the movie trilogy but they're remixed to be this sort of aggressive heavy metal sounding thing. So like they're sampling the music from the movie and they're mixing, they're remixing it. Yeah. And I love that about it. It really lends itself very well to the aggression and the anger of, of the fight scenes. Yeah. 
And those are great. And when Guts is punching people with his metallic arm, it's just clang, clang. <laughs> and there's this really kinetic – the way that they angle the camera, it's this really dynamic scenes of him punching people. And then they go flying and you hear this clanging of him because it's a metal arm. Yeah. And the sound design is just awesome. And that combined with the music and the camera angles, it gets the, it gets the desperate action perfect. Yeah. And it captures Guts' sardonic character and his anger. It captures it all very well. So the spirit of the thing is right. Mm -hmm. And also the show is not flinching away from the mature themes of the manga. Yeah. Um, I like that about it. Well, like, especially in this day and age. I mean, even Japan has kind of succumbed to those Western, like, oh, don't want to offend anybody. You know, right. But Berserk is not really uh, That's one thing I've noticed about Dragon Ball Super. There's no blood in Dragon Ball Super. That's kind of like, yeah. eh, you know, sign of the times, mm -hmm. unfortunately. Yeah, and in Berserk, though, there's blood yeah. fucking everywhere. I mean, he, in the second episode when the Iron Chain Holy Knights come to capture him because they believe he's responsible for um, – they believe he's responsible for the death of the band. Like the band of the Hawk, how they all got yeah, killed. Yeah, yeah. They believe he's responsible for that, mm -hmm. and they want to capture him because they were all fugitives from Midland. They were supposed to be recaptured by the king of Midland. And they want to know where's Griffith. They want to know where's the band of the hawk. They think Guts murdered them all. So right. when they when they catch up to him, it's like he's tired from fighting monsters all night. Right. And he got stabbed, so he's wounded. So like when they surround him, he can't wield the weapon. He can't wield the dragon slayer very well. And if the the, the left arm is prosthetic, he only uses the left arm when he wants to get power into the swing. Mm -hmm. You know. So like basically, his hand is like. His hand is like one opposable thumb and four fingers, all and the four fingers all move together. Mm. And he it's can't, almost two fingers in a sense. So. In a sense, yeah. Mm -hmm. um, so like when he clamps onto the sword, he like slaps his hand onto it, and the hand wraps around it. You know, so that's the only time when he uses two weapons is for power swings. Normally, he's fighting with one. He's swinging the dragon slayer with one arm. Right. Uh, I don't know if you know this about Guts, but he, you know, like the whole thing in anime and manga where like the guy with the big sword, like Cloud, yeah. Guts was the first one. Gotcha. He was the progenitor for that Guts, idea. Exactly. Okay. And um, there's this really great scene where he's backed up against a tree. And when he's backed up against the tree and he's surrounded by all these soldiers, he hasn't killed anyone yet. You know, he hasn't killed any people. And when he's backed up against the tree, like uh, Azan, the, 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 command, the, the military commander of the troops, is like the, the, he sees his troops moving in. And Guts is like exhausted. And they're like, no, you fools, don't get close to him. And at that point, Guts like smiles and he wraps his hand or other hand around the sword and he swings and you hear like this loud succession of clangs and the upper halves of bodies are slowly spinning away from the lower halves of bodies and blood is fucking spraying everywhere because he, he got his back against a tree yeah. and he was able to use the use – the, now he has something behind him, a base to push himself off of. And I love the fact that the sword physics – are in they're the taking show. into account well mm. this guy's in the situation and he's weak and what's he gonna do yeah who's gonna use some leverage right so he just he cleaves through these guys and it's just fuck and and it doesn't it doesn't hold back on that stuff if you're a berserk purist there are probably things you won't like about it yeah. and i think that it's not an unfair criticism that because berserk is just like how the manga is very unique because it's all like hand drawn and takes a really long time yeah. there's not a lot of um there's not a lot of stock uh production art in how it how many episodes was the first one 25 
Yeah, it didn't really – I don't remember it seeming long or anything. Yeah, it was 25 episodes, and there was never a second season because um, I really don't know why there was never a second season. You know, maybe there just wasn't enough advertising. money. Maybe there wasn't enough advertising money. Maybe Muta wasn't satisfied with it and he didn't want it to proceed. I don't really know the reason for it. Um, but Maybe it's like Robotech. He just lost all the stuff in the bottom of his closet. Did that actually happen or is that a joke? Uh, a- well, the story goes that Carl Masek, he had a bunch of Robotech stuff. And um, when they decided to do the DVDs, Carl Masek was donating materials that he had held on to for years and years and years. He was no longer affiliated with Robotech anymore, but they went to him because it was his brainchild. And he went into his closet and in his closet, he had all kinds of shit. He had videotapes with old commercials. He had all kinds of like just extra materials, flyers, advertisements, uh, old Robotech models. He just had all the shit that he'd assembled throughout the years, and he, and he contributed it for the production of the DVDs. That's nice. Yeah, so that's pretty cool. That's actually pretty cool. Yeah, poor Carl Masek. I mean, what a misunderstood genius, man. Like, mm-hmm. Carl Masek bringing anime over in the early 80s. Oh, it would have been 1985, so like the mid-80s. Mm-hmm. Did he bring more than just them? Did he bring, like, I what, like, uh, did he bring, like, Speed Racer or anything like that? No, or? He, that would have been before his time. Um, Robotech was his. That's brain. right. Robotech was more eighties. Right Robotech was eighty five. Speed Racer was like I believe either late sixties or early seventies, and then uh, Star Blazers was like late seventies. Mm-hmm. Um, like G Force came out here as Battle of the Planets. Yeah, yeah. and that yeah. was before that predated Robotech. Um, but um, what Robotech accomplished was that. Harmony Gold was willing to take a chance. They they tried to duplicate that success with Captain Harlock and the Queen of a Thousand Years, which was uh, Captain Harlock and Galaxy Express 3-9 combined. I never knew they actually brought the tried to bring those out. Yeah, well they did. It got released over here. It did get it did get they did get airplay, but in much more limited capacity. Mm-hmm. I believe they aired in Canada more prominently than they aired here in America, but they did air here in America. Um Captain Harlock and the Queen of Captain Harlock and Galaxy Express three nine were a much more natural pairing that didn't need any rewriting because number one they were both created by Leiji Matsumoto and number two they already inhabited the same universe. Gotcha. So there wasn't really a need to rewrite anything. It was just a matter of putting it in order. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas uh, Robotech, Macross, Southern Cross, and Mosqueda yes. had nothing to do with. There each were three other. completely different animes that kind of merged together. Yeah. <laughs> They uh, together. The end of Robotech Masters, if you remember in Robotech, um, the Robotech ship blowing up and the protoculture spore spreading was a bad thing. In Southern Cross, it ended up being a good thing because it, it re-germinated the planet. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, they were very different. Uh, mo- New Generation and, and, and Macross were much easier to combine thematically because the uh, Veritex were very similar to the Alpha Fighters and Beta Fighters mechanically. Right. But Southern Cross was a difficult one to um, – it was a difficult one to fit in. But anyway. It's no Macross 2. <laughs> you don't bullshit. You don't know the first thing about <laughs> journalism. Uh, was that Mike Hagar? <laughs> <laughs> but uh, just to quickly sum up, Berserk, my opinion, it's I think crap. it's good. It, it, it is crap. I cannot use this. Uh, it's good. I, I really like it a lot. I by the time the episode's done, I want there to be another one, and yeah. it's not just because I'm some berserk cuck. 
I really think they're getting it down. So are you watching it? How are you watching it? I'm watching it weekly. Okay. I'm watching it as it comes out. From Japan? Was it a fan sub thing or something? Uh, I'm watching, yeah. Well, Crunchyroll. Okay. Crunchyroll mm-hmm. is airing it. I see. And um, uh, I'm obtaining the episodes. Yeah. And when they release the Blu-ray of it, day one purchase. Yeah. Um, yeah, I'm the same way with Dragon Ball Super. Like, just every time it airs, I'm just like, ugh. Well, here's the thing. It's only 20 goddamn minutes. My wife, my wife brought this up. Melissa brought this up to me. She said, uh, um, when we watch a show like Game of Thrones, there are some people that like to binge it. And I don't agree that binging a show is the right way to watch it. Mm. And I'll give you my reasons for that. Uh, I think that when you binge a show, you are missing out on the intended pacing of the show. I could actually agree because I'm actually a binge watcher and I've noticed that in myself. With several things in Netflix I watch. Like, I would binge watch an entire season of um, Walking Dead. And I would, I would go through that. And I would actually forget moments that were, like, really huge and key. I only remember, like, one or two. But I, I would actually skip through a lot of things. Because what you're suggesting, and I thought about that in myself in reflection, is am I supposed to watch this episode end and reflect for a week? Mm-hmm. On what I saw. Right. Uh, right. The way that weekly television is paced, whether it be anime or live action or whatever the case may be, there's a certain pacing to it. And when that episode ends, the idea is that you're going to be left in heavy anticipation of the next episode mm-hmm. and you're going to have to wait a week. Episodes end with a serious dramatic impact specifically because they want you to feel that tension. They don't want you to have that immediate gratification of just being able to queue up the next episode Mm -hmm. they want you to wait and if you don't wait you're robbing yourself of part of the fun which is that anticipation of waiting the week now with dragon ball you're like shit it's only 20 minutes well that's how i feel about berserk i can get my wife to sit down and watch an episode of berserk with me every week because it's only 24 minutes it's not that much time out of your day but like an hourly TV show, you have to make a little more time for that. Mm-hmm. And binging is even worse. Now, I think some shows lend themselves to binging. I think Netflix does a very good job with their original programming because yeah. they release it all at once. And I think they release it intentionally that way. The way the Daredevil seasons were paced, it's like we paste these episodes specifically to get you to watch the yep. next one right away. It always gets it like a cliffhanger type thing. Right. You know, It's but not it, leaving on a huge note of something. Right, but a, a cliffhanger in such a way where it's like you're actually encouraged to watch the next episode mm. they pace it differently yeah. which is an interesting technical trip of t- a trick of television production because in television you have two ways of doing it you either have like episodic content or you have um i don't know what the opposite of it's called but it's like you know it's continuing mm-hmm. you know where it's like it's it's got a continuity and you have to watch every episode to like understand the whole thing when it's episodic, it doesn't matter because every episode ends. Like Star Trek's episodic. Like you watch an episode yep. of Star Trek and generally speaking – That part of the story is done. Exactly. It ends it there. There's a but, conclusion. But can you imagine how much fun you'd be robbing yourself of if you watched the last episode of season three of Next Gen and the first episode of season four of Next Gen right after each other? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know how much, how much that summer of anticipation that you're so excited about. You're just robbing yourself of yeah. that of that delicious – delicious you know desire you know and and granted it sucks having to wait but i think you're kind of killing your you're kind of killing now intention. i hate to say hate to show my like star trek ignorance there is this, are you talking about the one where picard lacutus and all yes. that that's what i was assuming yes so. if you don't end and wait at least a month to watch the next episode you're robbing yourself the, of uh, one of the delicious aspects of the show the uh the music cue at the end of that episode 
um, you know, if you watch it one right after the other, it's less dramatic. It's right. almost comical. But that show ends with like the most dramatic music cue ever. But you don't really notice it because the whole time the music cue is going on, you're just like in the chair going, oh, my God, oh, my God, oh, my God. But then if you watch the two episodes like much later on, you get them on Blu-ray and all this, and you've got them one mm-hmm. right next to each other, that music cue is like kind of silly now. Because... You, didn't, you didn't notice the scene, but your brain did. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. So, yeah, I, uh, I'm in favor of like watching the show the way that the production intended you to watch it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Watch it. If it's episodic, watch it weekly. Put at least a week between episodes. I, I, binge watching doesn't work for everything, and it's not supposed to work for everything. Yeah. I'm not even talking about it from a health standpoint or from a <laughs> – You're talking about just a narrative how to digest the content right. that you are given. Right. Like well, I said, I'm a binge watcher, and even I have noticed that in myself. Mm-hmm. And I've actually been debating on actually doing it. I used to binge watch, you know, I'm a huge Supernatural fan. Yeah. And go too. through there. So, yeah, and I could binge watch those. And I actually find myself forgetting events that happened. It's probably because I didn't reflect on them mm-hmm. after that time. I didn't, like, absorb and digest and appreciate what I had there. Mm-hmm. So I'm immediately in the next one. That was one of the, that was one of my favorite things about Lost was watching an episode and then for the next weeks being um, – being, uh, uh, Anticipating the, uh, or? the uh, uh, no, what what is it called? Whenever you um, the theories that you come oh, up with about the show. theory crafting, yeah, the theory crafting about the show and just like analyzing the show and asking questions about it and that sort of that was the fun of mm-hmm. that show. Like waiting a week to find out if you were going to go get meet answers. up with the people and like you know do the whole water cooler talk. Oh, did you yeah. see what the you know lost with blah blah blah. What do you think happened? Oh, you know well, I think Locke did this and yeah, you know, exactly. That's- who's in the coffin? Right, right. That's that's the fun of a show like that. And if you just watch them back to back, you just rob yourself of of that. Unless you're that guy in the elevator that never heard of the show. Yeah, I know the scrubs like that. Talking about who don't get a, who don't who don't like watch reality TV. You that, know? That's that's a joke that happened five hours and sixteen minutes ago. That was five hours. Yeah. Jeez. Well, we got we got enough material probably here for three episodes. Yeah. Crazy yeah. question, not meaning to put you on the spot or anything like this, but are you going to do any kind of recording or something over at Gen Con? I am going to. Sweet. I am going to record stuff, and I'll po- I'll be posting some shit to the uh, to the website. I think it'll be a fun time to share my experiences there. Um, <laughs> I love. Gen I'm here Con. over at Gen Con, and I'm with such and such. And I just want to say, uh, suck it, Ray, and <laughs> you know, stuff like that. Yeah, pretty much. I uh, I love it. It's my favorite time of the year. It's the one. It's my vacation. I consider it my vacation. I love going to it. Um, it's a great time. And I'm just not into uh, that type of gaming right. enough to warrant going. But uh, yeah, if it was something uh, more gaming centric, I'd probably be. You know, it's mostly tabletop, playing. right? It's well, it's everything now. It's tabletop gaming and it's computer gaming. It's card games. It's role playing games. Video gaming. Miniature games. There are video games there. There 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 are video game mm. rooms there and they do have tournaments there yeah. okay i was more mocking with what ray and i we were talking about before how uh casinos have taken off of the term video gaming oh right 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 yeah. right yeah it's not it's not video games it's video gaming exactly yeah. it's right. a big stick it was a big sticking point for the owners of the pixel blast because they're like you know uh the town that we're in which is the town of lyle um they have an ordinance i guess against that they're not allowed to put in those video gaming places and they they were like Under that's, whatever casino laws. Yeah, yeah, that's great for us because if they had allowed that stuff in town, we'd be like basically lost in like what the white noise of all these video you know, gaming, people, video people wouldn't video know video yeah. games. Yeah, people wouldn't know. Yeah, video game arcade, not casino gaming. You right. know, but right. yeah, it's a it's a shame. 
So that's it. Uh, it was uh, about, uh, about, about about five hours we sat here and talked. Grief, Charlie Brown. Amazing. It's amazing. Um, so uh, for those of you who don't know or don't normally listen, maybe you're listening because uh, you're a friend of Mike Vallis or you're here for the first time, uh, you can check us out. Uh, if you want to hear more of this uh, insanity that we do every uh, every two weeks, usually on Monday. And it's not usually. It's pretty much all the time on Monday. We've been pretty pretty consistent Pretty there. consistent, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, Gaming AM, GamingAM.com is the website, but uh, we're on iTunes. We're on uh, Google Play. We're all uh, usual places. Facebook. Twitter. There's something with Android too. I think you were mentioning was newer. Yeah, that was yeah. the Google uh, Google Play. Okay. It's, uh, you can listen on. Uh, it's, it's the counterpart to um, iTunes. Okay. But if you have an Android device, that's where you'd uh, want to listen to it. Like Tom. Yes, exactly. <laughs> uh, we also have a hotline seven seven three four nine two two six four two. You can call us. You can leave us a voicemail. You can do crazy, insane things, and you know whatever you want. And uh, if we like it, if we think it's funny, we'll play it back on the air. Uh, if we don't like it, we'll delete it. So don't waste our time. Don't waste your time unless you're really funny. Um, if you want to, uh, at the same time, you can visit my uh, repro shop, uh, repro.rad.tv. I make video game reproduction cartridges. You can uh, check out my work at operainfall.com, www.operainfall.com. That's too long. Uh editing more shut up i'm editing more often these days than writing content uh, i am working on the second half of berserk blog right now but it's turning into like a five-part blog it's not a simple kind of like this podcast yeah, kind of <laughs> like this podcast exactly like this podcast yeah. it's just my reasons for loving it i don't think i can sum it up into uh, two blogs so instead of writing one giant ass i should write one like that about dragon ball super i think it'd be fucking cool if you did you know After what it would I... say it's awesome that wouldn't be so cool. No. That'd be shit. That's like a Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy <laughs> version of it. That's a terrible idea. I Fine, I'll lo- revise it. Mostly awesome. I well, would love to read your like expanded, deep thoughts about Dragon Ball. I would love to read an article like that, but just yeah. it's awesome. Go fuck yourself. <laughs> fuck not off. enough effort. It's not enough effort. No, no. If yeah. you love something, you can find you can find a way to speak copiously about it. Yeah. You can find a way to write copiously about it. You can do it. I don't even know what that word means, so how am I going to write that way? Um, Thesaurus. Look it up, punk. (laughs) I have faith. Uh, Do you have anything you want to add? Oh, anything I could add? No, just that I've had a blast being here uh, doing this. This was great, a whole lot of fun. We had a blast. It was was awesome. uh, Yeah, you you are a person who who gets what we do and what we like, and we appreciate that, and it's... uh, it's hard to find people like that. So. Yes, thank you. I'm glad that I'm glad it worked. I was like, I was really like, there's actually one of the first podcasts I've actually ever done, but had a great time doing this. Yeah, and I and honestly, and honestly, I'm not just saying it because I'm here. I'm not, I'm just, not just because of friends or anything like that. When I listened to your podcast, I absolutely enjoyed it. I'm actually going to be really looking forward. Uh, maybe not the episodes I'm not in, well, yeah, but no, sure, yeah. obviously, yeah. no, no. Even the episodes, obviously, if, if I would be in or if I'm going to be in future or not, you may want to like if, if I could survive them bison here. Um, I do. I'm going to continue listening. So I'm going to subscribe and listen. Yeah. I listen to it at work. It's great. I have so much fun with that. And 
It's a really good, like, just two hours of straight enjoyment of pure geek talk. No, we well, appreciate that. Yeah, we really do appreciate that. <laughs> and adult geek talk. That's the one thing I said. It's very poignant type stuff. So, particularly yeah. for you, Tom. Like I said, yours, I still say a lot of, like, some of your, like, the descriptions should, uh, uh, I was saying this earlier, some of the descriptions should say, it like, should end with, like, a little, little thing that goes, shing, the more you know, mm-hmm. you know, kind oh, of thing. I really do appreciate that. <laughs> you know, sometimes I think I can sound like I'm a little full of myself, but I really just want to share my knowledge and my information and my passion and my opinions with people. So, to hear you say that, it, it's really gratifying, and mm-hmm. I really do appreciate. Yeah, I still that. say one of your crowning ones was the uh, two thousand uh, two thousand one uh, Space Odyssey. Like the, the way the descriptive of that, because that was the same way with those people where I was going, like, oh yeah, you know, it's about evolution, but they, you like defined it more than just evolution, but like psychological evolution, mental evolution, kind of thing. I'm like, well, that's a way I haven't looked at that. You went like really deep into the analyses. Well, mm-hmm. when, so. when you when you realize something. About when you realize something, something that's been about, around for a long time, and it, you make like a new realization about yeah. it, like, oh, this is something. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's, it's just the thought process that builds on itself, and I just wanted to share that, and I, I'm really glad that you enjoyed it. Mm-hmm. That that's probably the best. The best thing anyone can tell me is that they really enjoy what we talk about. Yeah. Um, because you know we do it because we have fun, and we want you all to have fun with it too. And yeah. if if we can help enlighten you fine if you think we're completely wrong but you're still entertained that's fine if you think we're wrong and you're not entertained well you know suck the big fat one (laughs) there are other podcasts yeah see that's the thing if somebody doesn't like our podcast or wants to complain about it i'm always like you had to go through like some effort to get here it's not (laughs) like you just flipped past this on the tv or something Mm -hmm. you were like oh offensive you know exactly you had to seek us out and there's also this thing if you're being offensive too you know what you do you hit the stop button yeah there's that much. stop button option you, you have in there there yeah. are many shows where you know i'm like watching it and i say my god this is terrible but i do not i, I kind of hit the stop button to yeah. like not watch it yeah you well, know i have that option i, I have a uh, i have another solution if you don't like what we're listening to i'm going to take a page out of uh, one of my favorite wrestlers uh scripts and say whether you like it or you don't like it you better learn to love it Cause it's the best thing going today. <laughs> That's the Nature Boy Ric Flair for you. Really Woo! nice. <laughs> I've never actually heard that phrase. I like that actually. Yeah. Uh, as far as you being on uh, other other podcasts, I can tell you one thing: it's all downhill from here because you've been on the best. Yeah. No, the my other podcasts. I meant other of the, more episodes of these. Is oh, what more I meant. Like, oh, of that. I didn't say. Oh, yeah. I'm just because we suddenly just hurry myself off oh, to yeah, other podcasts. No. Yeah. I don't think I know. I know of them, but I would you never should. ask them. So you should. Mm. Why not? <laughs> but when you go on their podcast, talk about only our podcast. It's the only one to talk about. Yeah, so getting back to gaming AM, dude. I'll be, he'll be like, you know, yeah, I'll be like talking to somebody. He's like, so, you know, what do you think about this game? I'm fuck that, dude. You know what? You guys are nothing like gaming AM. Yeah. I'm, I'm out. <laughs> Click. Do you want to know what I learned about 2001 on gaming AM? You, know, you don't talk about <laughs> shit like that. What the hell? Let me tell you some stories about EGM, like I talked about on gaming AM. <laughs> Exactly. I don't get run over like this. They don't have a Denny. You don't, just don't even have a Denny. They got a Denny. Yeah. yeah. I mean, come on. That's not a feature. <laughs> if you, if I, I'm the new guy that here. That is not I a selling sell point. That's a, true. It's not a selling point, but it's definitely a feature. It's kind of, it's kind of unavoidable. When you I would say smell. that he is my cross to bear. Denny is our cross to bear, but I would never put that filthy motherfucker on my back. So <laughs> That's exactly. You know. I wouldn't want that. I think it was just, it, 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 to get him off, it would kind of like peel him off. You I have know. to peel him off. Yeah. And then it's like being it's being hit by a like being hit by a skunk. You'll never get the stink yeah. out. You, you no no showers can uh, yeah. not even taking a bath in tomato juice like in that episode of the Partridge family. You'll You're never right. get the stink out. <laughs> <laughs> 
I can't even <laughs> think of anything to say to that. <laughs> and this is the thing. I, why do I remember that shit? Why do I know the names of both members of Millie Vanilli? Why do I know these things? I don't know. <laughs> like, I tried really hard just then to, like, respond to that, and I couldn't. I had nothing. The Partridge family. Well. What the hell's the matter with you? I don't know. <laughs> I told you I don't know. Let's have the fun. That's it. Gaming AM. Episode 12 now. That's right. Trout <laughs> was very happy to be on here. Thank you again for inviting me. Of thank course. You for, yeah, thank you for being here. Thank you for taking, I, you know, it's kind of a long drive. It's, yeah, I know. It's, we really appreciate it. Worth the fun. It. Yeah, we really appreciate it. He's starting up the truck. I guess this means yeah, it's time. Yeah, he's tired of waiting. That's okay. over we. Ray's got his white gi. He's got the red gi. You've got your pink gi. <laughs> I, get, I get danned. Well, yeah, but now you got us with you, so. <laughs> this is an easy win. Perfect. We can do this ten times in a row and then fight Shang Long. Yeah. Yahoo! That'd be easy. Yeah. All right. All right, let's do this. According to uh, W.A. Stokens, anyway. <laughs> From Fooled Again Ha. From Fooled Again Ha. And that guy knows his shit. That's right. All right, here we go. Okay. Here we go. Chisa!